the Academy Award for Best Picture. La La Land. Guys, I'm sorry. No. There's a mistake. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. Moonlight won. Come on, this is not a joke. Come this on. is not a joke. I'm afraid they read the wrong thing. This is not a joke. Moonlight has won Best Picture. Welcome to the Film Coterie. I'm Roger. I'm Adam. And I'm Matt. And how about this Oscar week we have had? It's been kind of crazy, hasn't it? It's been fun seeing all this chaos unfold on the stage. Nor normally we say, I say, hey guys, what's going on? What's been happening this week? But there's a lot been happening this week. And this is episode seven. Yes. For the week of March 3rd. Nice. It's hard to believe we're, this is our seventh episode already. Man, I'm telling you, we're just knocking these out pretty soon. We'll be celebrating 100. Then I'll be old. <laughs> Older. Old. <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, guys, news. I think we'll, we'll, we'll dedicate a segment of the show today to the Oscars. But So before we get to them and we talk about the Oscars specifically, What's happening, man? What's going on? What you know? There's some other news besides the Oscars happening this week, Adam. What, what what's happening, man? For once, I don't have any DC news. It's all quiet on that front, so that's a, probably a good thing for the studio at this point. Just a nice, calm week. Yes, nothing broke, nothing fell off. No the one's wagon. leaving. No, no one's having to be brought on board. Nothing. Yeah. So all is good at DC this week. We'll see if that changes next week, but I have nothing to report there. Uh, did you catch the trailer for Bright during the Oscars? I did. I, I found it very interesting. That Will Smith is making a movie, and it's going straight to Netflix. You know, I don't know if that was always the plan. I'd heard about this movie because it's an interesting concept. It's a cop movie in modern times, but it's in a fantasy world like our own with elves, orcs, but it looks like New York City. That's. I'm very intrigued. Okay, <clears throat> in full disclosure, I am somewhat of a fantasy nut to begin with I, I love that genre you know i know matt's more of the science fiction guy and i'm not really sure where you fall at him one way or the other probably both you know but i i'm a fantasy nut and so you know if you said i'm gonna throw into a big pot of soup and make a gumbo that is will smith and a cop driven kind of action movie that's gonna have elves and orcs and all kinds of crazy fantasy elements and magic i'm assuming will be in this world they show him holding a broadsword as a cop, so I'm assuming there's going to be magic and swords yeah. and sorcery. I tell you one thing, I'm going to give it a watch. You know, I'm definitely going to watch it. Are you familiar with Shadowrun at all? That fantasy property? I, I am actually. I That's played, what it I played me the of. video game years ago when it came out on PC for all of like two minutes <laughs> before it's it a whole book series too. Before it's, it crashed horribly. It's cyberpunk fantasy yeah. future, but with 
orcs and elves and everything else. So it kind of gave me a shadow run vibe. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that, but I think even more so than that is there's a general trend now with features and, you know, content, great movie content and media coming straight to these streaming services. You know, what do you guys think about that? I mean, you know, I guess back in the day, I don't know if you'd really call, you know, your A-list actors, but when, when Kevin Spacey decided to do House of Cards and it was going to be Netflix only, I was kind of like, whoa, what's this about, you know? And then you start to see these other actors and actresses are doing stuff on streaming media and releasing. Now, now I would have never thought Will Smith would have made a movie that's going to be released straight to Netflix. Yeah, Adam Sandler, sure. He signed that huge Netflix yeah. deal. No one's surprised he's making no. all these Netflix movies. He's, he's but... trying to cash in, right? I mean, that's, that's what you think, you know. But but Will Smith was a surprise. And, and even Kevin James made a Netflix movie. Okay, so they're cashing in on the, all the Netflix money that's out there, you know. I mean, at least for me, as a parent with a small child, um, I like more options, to be honest. Right? I mean, there's still something about going and getting your ticket and watching it in something on the big screen. But for some of the other properties that are out there, um, it, it's it allows me to see more when they do sure. something like that and see more good quality, right? Because what um, Netflix has provided, whether it is like the Daredevil that they made, sure, or Jessica Jones, those were two that were outstanding. Or Amazon has Mozart in the Jungle, which is great. Yeah. Um, it just allows me to see newer content, not have to worry about finding a babysitter, not have to worry about leaving my kid home alone with my wife and getting upset. I can wait for everyone to go to bed, sit down, watch it at my leisure in my living room, and it's great. Yeah. Well, well I think it's interesting that, you know, are, are we are we really seeing a fundamental shift? I mean, this is a, this is a movie podcast. We love film. We love movies. And so we're called the Film Coterie for a reason, right? But there's no denying that there is amazing content coming, as far as Matt said, like TV shows and, and even some movies and documentaries and stuff are coming to the streaming services. And now we're seeing feature films going straight to streaming services. And, you know, really, I guess maybe we're kind of the exception to the rule, but I talk to a lot of my friends and they don't go nearly to the movies as often as I did when I was younger, or maybe we did 20 years ago. What, what do you guys think? Is there anything to be said about the future of movies and this big cineplex, you know, the multiplex? I mean, I don't know. What are your thoughts? I mean, I'm not trying to be a De Debbie Downer here, but I'm just, I'm just thinking, you know, well, one, it's just a natural part of the business because Netflix is losing movies by the day. The libraries on Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, they're all shrinking because the studios are pulling their own stuff back. Yeah. It's long been rumored most of them are going to launch their own streaming service. So Warner Brothers will put one out. Disney will put one out. So all the content is coming off of Netflix. Yeah. So to survive for the future, Netflix is he investing heavily in their own TV shows, movies, et cetera. So that's just a natural part of the progress. As far as home viewing versus theater viewing, I think there's different movies. Like when Star Wars comes out, even if I had the choice to watch it at home, I'm going to go to the theater. I'm going to drive to the biggest screen I can find yeah, and watch Star Wars. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I, and I agree with you, Adam. I, I just think that I love, you know, I love movies. I love going to the theater. I, I'm one of these old school guys that I like actual film when it's shot on 35 millimeter or 
Heaven forbid, even the glorious 70 millimeter. They used to shoot some of these old, like, you know, Vertigo and some of these older movies were shot in, in 70 millimeter. I love film as a print. I love the, the big giant, you know, 90 foot screen or whatever and the, the, the glorious sound, all that. I love that experience of going to the movies. And yes, you can replicate it on a small scale in a home, but the, there's something, you know, last week we went and saw Get Out and it. We recommended it. it was a good movie, you know, but what made part of what made that movie good was the audience. That's what made that experience good. I, I can't tell you that if I just sat at home and watched the get out, if I would have laughed as much, maybe I would have, I don't know, but there's an energy you pick up from the being in a crowd like that. That's really cool. You know, you're not going to get that maybe sitting at home by yourself. But the problem there is you also have to look at it from an economic standpoint. Oh, yeah. Right. So let's say you got a family of four. You want to go tonight, the movies, maybe get some popcorn and Coke. Now you're looking at a hundred bucks. Yeah. Minimum. Right. But movies coming to Netflix. I pay my $10 a month. All my family can sit there. We can pop our own popcorn. It doesn't cost us any more to see that movie. Um, and I think Netflix has kind of realized that and I think they can cash in on it um, because movies are just right now. I mean, some of them are just super expensive. Yeah. We even changed where we went and saw a movie tonight and it took the ticket price from $13 to five ninety nine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't know. I, I you know, I, um, I think that for a lot of things, you can see it at home. But like Adam said, if you're going to go watch Star Wars, you're going to watch these. If I'm going to watch a Marvel movie, one of the big, the next Avengers, the Doctor Stranges, I, I want that big screen experience for me. Maybe I'm in the minority. I don't know. I just want that large screen experience. No, I, I totally agree. If it's like Star Wars, if it's any kind of space opera-ish superhero type movie, where there, it's a spectacle, I want to see that on a big screen. But if I'm going to watch like a drama, I can sit on my couch and watch a drama. Yeah, absolutely. So what else, Adam? What else is happening this week in the news? Well, we'll stick to Netflix for the next story. But I'm excited about this. They have a new documentary coming out called Five Came Back. And what this is, is a documentary about the U.S. filmmakers that went over during World War II and made our U.S. propaganda that everyone saw in theaters. Wow. So this is about John Ford, George Stevens, John Huston, William Wyler, and Frank Capra. What's also cool, and this is the thing that has me most excited, is Netflix got the rights to all their movies. Wow. So not only are you getting this documentary showing the courage of those I guys. I just can't wait. There's going to be 13 documentaries that they shot during World War II put up on Netflix the same weekend. At the end of this month, the last weekend of March. Well, I can tell you what I'll be doing that week. I can't even. I mean... Granted, people always kind of, all right, we have people making propaganda and there's Hollywood and the, you know, USO tours and things like that. But when you're talking about the filmmakers that were set to do the propaganda, they're like, why don't you go into a war zone where people are shooting actual bullets and record stuff to make our troops look good and get everyone pumped up back home? Yeah, and people are going to the theater to watch the news. I mean, that's the thing. They were shooting stuff for the large format. Yeah, theatrical no, ab screens. absolutely. So now, not only are you going into a war zone, but you're going in there with a big camera that just says, why don't you shoot me? Because, you know, you said it was World War II. It's not like the, the Axis powers didn't understand the power of propaganda. So 
you know, that was, they would definitely would have been a target. So much respect to those individuals. Well, you know, and I haven't seen a lot about this news coverage on this, you know, this Netflix release, but I know that the Axis powers shot their own propaganda films as well. They, it wasn't just America doing this. Oh, that's, so, why that's why I'm saying so, they so appreciate it. I, I, I would be interested to see if this documentary will cover any of the foreign, any of the... That would be cool as well to see what was the German perspective or, you know, because I know that they shot some films to try to boost morale as well, too. As a documentary nut on Netflix, there are probably 20 documentaries or... 20 have been up at one time or another on Netflix dealing with Axis power propaganda because they had like the minister that would handle just here's our propaganda films and the staging that went on with that. So I'm glad to see they're doing one about the American propaganda. Yeah. So the title of that movie again is going to be five came back and it'll be up on Netflix on March 31st along with 13 other movies that were filmed during that time by these directors. Yeah, and I was going to give Matt a shout out, shout out as well. Uh, Matt wrote an article on our website about uh, documentary films on Netflix or something streaming, and I can't. I, my internet's dead here. I can't get it to come up. But I was going to recommend our listening audience go check out that article on some of the movies that you recommended there. Oh, the the music documentaries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And finally, we had a lot of trailers hit this week. We're getting into blockbuster season. Everyone seemed to choose this week to launch their new wares. So I thought we'd run through three of them real quick and kind of get your thoughts. I'll start with the new Pirates movie. My show notes, I wrote Pirates colon whatever, because I didn't want to look up the title, but it's Pirates Dead Men Tell No Tales. Um, I guess I can lead this off. Uh, I'm... I haven't been excited about a Pirates movie since the first one. Just going to say it. I'm, at least me personally, I'm kind of done with Jack Sparrow. But that's me. Yeah, it seemed to be a one-pony trick to me. I mean, I liked the first one. <clears throat> the second one, I, I didn't even... I saw it and was like, meh. And then I think we caught the third one because I had younger kids at the time on cable. And they were even like, Dad, this is silly. <laughs> so I, I'm kind of out of the loop. I, it, so it's a meh for me, for me. I don't, you know, I'm not really, I don't have any, so I, I don't have any fire or any vigor to go see it. The trailer shows they're doing the de-aging effect on Depp. We're seeing a young Jack Sparrow, at least in the opening. That seems to be a trick used in more and more movies. So there must be an origin coming up in this one. And the trailer says it's the last pirates. So maybe it'll go out with a bang. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> the last pirates. Yeah, it says the final chapter. Well, maybe it'll be good. It looks like they spent a fortune on this movie. Haven't they spent a fortune on all these yes. movies, though? Yeah, but they've made a fortune. Has, I bet, has there been one that's even lost money? Not lost, but the last yeah. one with the mermaid was not near the level of success of the other three. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, the next trailer up is Alien's Covenant. It's a new R-rated trailer they put out. It's in front of Logan this weekend, if you happen to see that movie, which we'll be reviewing next. Yeah, because I know they put out the four-and-a-half-minute kind of opening scenes Yeah, of it's the called movie. The Last Supper. Yeah, but they've actually come out with an actual trailer. Uh, Adam was right. It was before Logan, and you get to see the xenomorphs in it, uh, and I'm pretty excited about it. 
but it is a sequel to Prometheus. So it is full on a sequel to Prometheus, and I hope they correct some of their mistakes. And I, I'm just hoping this is good. It looks good, but I was fooled by Prometheus. Yeah, I thought Prometheus, Prometheus was the the movie that had great potential to be really good, and just kind of fell short big time. So you know, it'll probably get voted. We'll probably go on Thursday night. I'm assuming to see it. So you know, I'll go and give it a shot. But I don't. I wasn't. I didn't get jacked up or fired up to when I saw the. You know, I was like, okay, you know, we'll see. I'm curious to see Danny McBride in this movie. Uh, yeah. Um, hopefully it's really good because it looks like they're kind of breaking away from the Prometheus mold, and we're back to an alien movie. <laughs> Face huggers. What I like deal. about these movies, they're always blue collar workers in space. These are the haulers, the truckers. They're not the aside from yeah. aliens. They're not Marines or yeah. explorers. No, you're right. I mean, you have the miners, the prisoners, you know, things like that. But this is a colony ship. So are you just, <clears throat> excuse me, are you just going to go colonize a planet with a bunch of, bunch of blue collar people? Or are you going to put like engineers and people like that there. So I'm interested to see who these people are. Yeah, and having a colony ship land on an alien world, that's just a nice harvest for the aliens to start planting their eggs. Yeah. Now, yeah. And what what is the reasoning behind this? Did, did they not send the first Prometheus there to... This is where they went. Right. Yeah. Well, no, remember at the end of Prometheus, she hops in the engineer's ship and puts in the coordinates wherever it came from, and she's heading back. To wherever the engineer ship came from. So are they passing in the night or something? I, no, the ship's there. You see it crashed. Yeah, a, yeah, yeah. It's a long time later because there's two Michael Andrew, Michael droids. Oh, okay. He okay. signaled them, I think. Okay. Well, I, I couldn't get... See, I was having a hard time remembering all the plot line for <clears throat> the glorious film that was Prometheus. And, and I was like, why are they going to that planet after what happened the first time? And, Different planet. Okay. Different crew. Yeah, okay. And the last trailer is the very final trailer for Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Yay! I'm excited. Yeah, it looks good. <clears throat> it hits all the right buttons. Every time they, even the different trailers, I really, really liked. I love Drax, man. That dude just cracks me up. And it, yeah, it looks like it looks like the people writing the film heard the, the public's um, affection for Drax and... <laughs> he kind of steals most of the Dude, scenes. they've amped yeah. him up, man. Yeah, and it's <laughs> oh, but yeah. It, but at least from the trailers, it doesn't look like they're overkilling it. It's just, it's. I loved it. <laughs> and let's take a moment to remark on this fact: they are not revealing any story bits in these trailers. There's been two trailers and a teaser, and they're giving you a flavor of the movie, but it's not laying out the whole. I have picture. no clue what the movie's about. No clue, except well, I won't say. But we did get a little snippet of something new in this last trailer. Right, well, I mean, but they're the not giving you the online. story beat by yeah. story beat by story beat. Yeah, it's yeah. If you watch the new Fast and the Furious trailer, you know how the whole movie unfolds. It literally lays it out, and oh, a yeah. lot of trailers do that. Mm-hmm. So I, I appreciate the fact that they've played it coy with Guardians. Yep, absolutely. I, I'm very excited. They just. It seemed like they're hitting on all their cylinders there at Marvel. And to close out, we have some sad news. As you may be aware, we lost Bill Paxton this week, uh, and this one this one came out of the blue. You know, no one no one saw this one coming, and this one's tough. So tough, I tell you, I, I was just tore up Sunday night when I saw this come through the newswire. I was just like, man, are you serious, Bill Paxton? Come on now, I mean. 
you know, I grew up in the 80s and 90s, and the dude was just, every time he turned around, he had a movie coming out, you know, during that time. And I'm just, I'm sad. I'm sad about Bill Paxton. I I wrote down some of my favorite Bill Paxton movies, but I'm just so disappointed. Oh, it's just so sad. The thing I always appreciated about Bill is that he kind of has an aw shucks charisma about him. Yep. He can play the scumbag of the year, and you just enjoy watching him on the screen. There's something magnetic about him. Like, look at True Lies when he's playing the car salesman. <laughs> yes. And that's a great role for him. Great. Slime ball. But you enjoy every second he's on yes, the screen. It's, absolutely. it's this magnetic charisma yes. he always had. Or is Chet. The older brother in Weird Science. Dude, I, I, how many times I watched that movie? <laughs> we may hear about that movie later. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I you look at some of his films that I, I wrote down, and I wrote, you know, he was in The Terminator, and he was in Aliens. And what was the stat you were telling us? All the different creatures that killed him? Bill Paxton has been killed by a Terminator, an alien, and a Predator in Predator 2. As I said, I still don't know how this works. If now we understand that Aliens and Predator are a shared universe and Bill Paxson has been killed twice in the same universe. I think maybe they've missed that little, that's a little loophole somewhere they've missed. You know, I I was listening to another podcast and they were talking about Bill Paxson and they brought up something I thought was interesting when they said that he wasn't, he was, he was he was like the every man, every man could relate to a Bill Paxton. Like you could, he was like a normal person, you know, and he wasn't, he wasn't afraid to be afraid in films. He wasn't afraid to express emotion. And they brought up the scene in tombstone where the, the big showdown is about to happen. And you got, you know, uh, um, uh, Doc, who's half drunk, and you know, and Val Kilmer's character, and he stumbles out, and he's all machismo, ready to go, and all the other guys are ready to go, and you've got Bill Paxton playing one of the uh, one of the Earp brothers, and you can visibly see him shaking, nervous, like he's afraid this is about to go down, and we're going to get killed, you know, maybe, and just that vulnerability that he seemed to play, um, even in even in the movie he directed, Frailty, they talked about how. He, there was such a fear that his as weird and obscure as that movie, I guess is, you know, he was afraid that, that his sons weren't turning out the way he was trying to train them. And just, I don't know. I just, he just resonates with me. I connected with Bill Paxton and his movies, loved him in Apollo 13, you know, and somebody said, somebody made the statement. They said that he was the, uh, he was Tom Hanks's understudy in the eighties and nineties. In other words, he, he wasn't quite, charisma enough to be the tom hanks but he was the likable enjoyable connect with everybody common man that kind of filled all those other roles you know in those type of movies and uh uh man i mean i even like twister i mean i know that's cornball of a movie but at the time when it came out i liked twister it was a fun ride you know and aside from the fact he is a leading twister he wasn't commonly a leading man which is what i really liked about big love that was three seasons of a good show and it really let him shine in that area where he didn't normally get a play. Yeah, I, I never, I never got a chance to watch Big Love, but I, I tell you, I just his movies and stuff that he liked. I just really so sad. I really enjoyed him, and he will be missed absolutely. All right, well, that's going to wrap up our news and notes segment. So when we come back from the break, we're going to give you our opinion on Logan.
Welcome back to the Film Coterie. Uh, as those of you that listen may know, every Thursday night we go check out a new movie. Uh, this Thursday was no different, uh, except for the fact we got to go out and see Logan. So, um, without further ado, guys, what did you think of Logan? Well, this is really exciting. I can't wait to see what you guys thought. I mean, this, you know, a lot of times we go see these movies and I'm like, okay, cool. I liked it. I didn't like it. But I walked away thinking, oh, I really wonder what Matt and Adam thought of this movie. Um, I'll start off and say it. I, I By far the best um, movie making of a film they've done for, for any of the Wolverines. In other words, the craft of film. I think so. Was, for Wolverines, you're talking X Men Origins Wolverine yes. and the Wolverine. Yes, not the other X Men movies. No, no, no. I'm talking about the ones that just featured the Wolverine in it. I thought were tremendously well crafted, but this is a sad movie. I'm telling you right now. I, I, I there was not. I did not feel any joy at any time in this movie. The whole entire film, I was sad the whole time. And I know this is a hot take, and we literally came straight from the movie theater, but I don't know how I feel about that. I just sat there the whole time sad, you know, and I don't want to give away plot details, but this is not a happy movie. I mean, this is this is sad. <laughs> we can set it up a little bit. The trailers will show you that Logan, a.k.a. Wolverine, is old. Yes. He's a lot older than we've ever seen him. Yep. We can see that he's, the trailer even shows he's not healing very well anymore. It's a weird world. Um, it's further in the future. Professor X is in it. He's in the trailer. He's older too. He even jokes he's 90 in the trailer. And that's true. He's definitely an old man, Professor X. And then there's a little girl. And they take to protecting her and they hit the road. But this is not a fun movie. I'm not saying that it's bad. And I'm still <sighs> kind of settling into it. But this, for comic book movie, is not a fun movie. And that's kind of surprising. Yeah. And my gut tells me that if people who maybe really know the lore and know the comics history and have read the comics, this may be a very powerful and moving and connecting film to them. But I'm not one of those kind of people. I'm not into the comics in a big, big way. Um, I will say that I think there was a golden opportunity with the young girl and to be a real connection there, a real heart connection that for me just missed. I, I didn't, I, I, I don't know if it was a, because maybe they, I, I don't know that they didn't connect. I, I don't know. I just, I don't want to say it's a cultural thing because she was, you know, couldn't speak and she was mute most of the time because, and then we found out maybe, she, you know, just, you know, I, I don't know there. I Spoilers. just, I, I, I just, there, it's you know. I, I walked away. I walked away from the movie thinking I'm just. This is a really sad movie, and there was uh, there. I don't know how. How do I talk about this movie without just spoiling things that are in the movie? Well, you know. Yeah, we're not going to get into spoilers. This is the final outing for Hugh Jackman, though. That's no secret. He's yeah. going on all the talk shows. This is his last time playing Wolverine. Um, he's been doing it since the very first Brian Singer. X-Men movie. He's had a, yeah. a heck of a run. He's still in great shape. I mean, for and, 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 he's still big and menacing, even though Wolverine's uh, supposed to be five foot six and Canadian. Hugh Jackman's always yeah. given us the burly six foot Wolverine. And I'll say this and then shut up and let you guys talk about it. Uh, 
I thought Patrick Stewart was amazing. Phenomenal acting job. I thought Hugh Jackman did a great acting job. I thought I thought the acting in it was great. It was spot on. This is a movie I just gonna have to think about for a couple of days. I'm just being honest with you. Because I've never been to a superhero movie and I've never I, I've never walked away from a movie feeling like I'm feeling right now. I'm just being honest with you. Well, I'll go next. So um, there was a lot of hype for this movie. A lot of hype. Um, I mean, you're talking about a mainstream comic book character movie opening a film festival because it went and opened Berlin, right? And I think from the very first trailer, it kind of gave you the sense that this was going to be an emotionally heavy-hitting film. Um, you know, with the way it was shot, the way it was cut together, with the music that was used over top of it. Um, and I agree with Roger. I think this is, I think, far and away the best Wolverine film that's been. Um but maybe I got caught up on the hype train, the 93% on Rotten Tomato, the heavy, hard-hitting, emotional pulls. Um, just, to me, they missed. They they missed. I, I'm not saying that the film wasn't sad, right? Because I agree right. there. No, yeah. But, I mean, if you're, if you're touting that this is this farewell and hard-hitting and emotionally heavy film when you compare it to an emotionally heavy film like Manchester by the sea or something like that, it pales in comparison. Um, and so I think there were a few points. The film was almost building to this emotional heavy point and it just veered away from it. It was almost as if it was like, all right, we're still a superhero this is still a superhero movie. We can't quite go there. And I wish it would have went there. Yeah. Right. So. Well, and, that's and, 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 and I hope this is not spoilery, but we know for a fact in the trailers you see, there's, you know, uh, the professor, Wolverine, and then they find this young girl. So there's a triangle here, right? And I thought the chemistry with the professor and the young girl was there. I felt that there was a connection between those two in the way they looked at each other and this and that, that I, I just, it missed for me a little bit between Hugh Jackman, the Wolverine and the girl that I just, I don't know. I don't. Uh. Well, it's and me and Adam had the advantage of, we were actually in the car on the ride back. So, um, I don't want to steal any of his points, but I did, point this out so you have this film that's got a lot of buzz it opened up a film festival and a lot of people were talking well this could be one of the first films to ever get looked at from the academy and things like that yeah to me if this film gets put up for anything it would be best supporting actress for that little girl i thought she was great the casting of her for her part was great i thought she did an outstanding job yeah her name is daphne keen I've never seen her in anything. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, this looks like her second movie. So I'm sure they did a very wide search for this girl. Yeah. Casting agents for kids usually do. They look to some people. She kind of has a unique look to her. Yeah. But her performance was great in this movie. She's feral. She's 
she moves between some different ranges, but I thought she did have the chemistry with Logan because he's gruff. He's the ultimate loner. And I really like the chemistry between Hugh Jackman and Patrick Stewart in this movie. Uh, I did too. Uh, and that, yes, that finally pays off from seeing all the movies we've seen since 2000. That's when the yeah. first X-Men came out. Wolverine's sort of the prodigal son to professor X. He leaves time after time, always comes back and here they are together in this world without mutants. And that's what the trailer shows, but they have the father son kind of relationship. He's caring for the older professor X and that chemistry was never been better. And, and don't get me wrong. I think when she was playing her, when she, when she became her mutant character, phenomenal i mean just i was like you know like you said that animalistic you know you bought it 100 percent. and there were there were a couple scenes where they were fighting together and i thought it was great i thought wow i guess when she was just a normal girl trying to get through life it's when i just it, it kind of it just missed for me i just i just couldn't connect with it so let's talk about the fighting and the violence in this movie Ooh, it is i'm telling you one thing honey Whew. It is rated R. Yes. This is really the first time I think we've ever seen Wolverine's claws do the real damage. There's maiming, decapitations. Um, John Wick has headshots. Wolverine has head stabs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, it may actually be bloodier than like John Wick. Because John Wick, you see the headshot, they go down, there's a splatter of blood on the wall. But this. This had some blood. (laughs) <laughs> there were I mean there I mean you know in the films they've kind of shot it from an angle when Wolverine rakes his 18 inch claws through someone's gut that you're like that yeah, probably did some damage and left it up to your imagination to fill in this one it didn't really some it did um, but it it showed quite a bit yeah no, I, I brutally violent. Um, I, I, you know, here's the thing. I'm just, it's a hot take. So please, if you're listening to this podcast, especially my remarks, just take them for what it is. I even told the guys at the restaurant before the movie, I was like, I don't really want to vote whether we should put a movie in until I've had a day or two to think about it, you know, because my feelings might change, you know. But to me... How do I say this? The Professor and Wolverine, I know it's in the future, and, and it's obvious stuff has went down, right? And they're both fundamentally changed because of the stuff before this movie that has went down. But it's like part of me kind of got the feeling, okay, now it's rated R, so I can say an F-bomb every other sentence in the movie. And that really put me off, I'll be honest with you. I don't mind if it's called for to to swear and use the language, but it almost felt like they're saying, okay, we've got the rated R label, so we can just talk freely how we really would have talked, but we couldn't in all the other movies we made. Well, in all fairness, too, it would have been rated R without the language. Just no, 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 no. It would, it would have been. Yeah, absolutely. Just for the violence sake. Yeah, I never have an issue with language in a film. It's, it, it's not that the language of, it was offensive to me. It, it was, was gratuitous. It was gratuitous. It was out of context for the characters as I know them. But maybe my problem, maybe my whole problem with this movie 
is it's not in the same universe. It's not in. The, it is, but it's not. It's set in the future. Stuff has went down, and even the stuff they alluded to that has went down was very intriguing to me. It made me think, I want to see some of that stuff in a movie somewhere, you know. And maybe we'll get to see that. I, I don't know. but and It's confusing for people, too, because of the various timelines we have now due to the time travel. Because Professor X, and this is an older movie, but he gets obliterated in part three by the Dark Phoenix. Yeah. But now that they've gone back in time, we can assume that hasn't happened since he's still around that that aspect yeah. of the Dark Phoenix saga, which we'll probably get told again in the next movies. From what I've heard, the 90s movie that's coming out will be Dark Phoenix. But I guess we can assume Professor X lives through this one. We, I would assume we would have to. But now, and, and I, before I, you send me hate mail, before you send me hate mail, it's a really well-crafted movie. I mean, it, you can tell that they... I liked the pacing of the movie. I liked that it wasn't a big roller coaster. It was a kind of a slow build i mean i there's a lot of things that really worked for this movie yet there were things in this movie that kind of put me off a little bit i mean one scene that put me off was hugh jackman is or, or the wolverine is is helping a friend do a repair job and they get done and i see him take off his jacket and his shirt and he, he didn't get it off and i thought oh there's going to be a fight scene coming because they got to get him in his uniform, his tank top, white his, tank top, his white tank jeans. top, you know. And I was like, and as soon as he had it off, here the trucks rolled up, and I was like, oh, okay, that was a little, I don't know, that was anyway. Here's where <sighs> I'm sitting with it. It was overhyped. I mean, I like the movie overall. I'm very positive on it. But what's tough for me is that comic book movies are usually crowd pleasers. And this one's outside of that realm, so I'm trying to think of it in dramatic categories. I mean, automatically you compare it to the professional, because yeah. you have the storyline with the older man and the young girl. I'm trying to think what other movies I can compare it to. There's no comic book movie like this that I can recall. Well, uh, let's just throw. Let's just. I don't know if y'all caught the giant elephant in the room here with this movie. What was the movie they were watching in Vegas? They were watching Shane, the classic western, which is a parallel to the Wolverine character, what he's going through. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it on the ride back. We both caught it was Shane. It, you know, it's the drifter. It's the guy who's. Have you guys seen Shane? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's yeah. been years. So and, and Shane is, is 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 he is a character that there's a young kid involved in it the whole time that admires him and looks up to him, and he is a guns. Uh, he's a gunfighter that just wants to put it all behind him and help out help out a family on a farm, and he gets drugged back in. He can't escape who he really is, you know. And um, yeah, I was like, when that, I was like, oh, that's some pretty cool. So I liked that. I liked that little little call to that. You and know, and it feels like a modern western. I mean, it's it's tough yes. to peg it into a genre, but they go there. The soundtrack kind of has a western feel to it. It has yeah. a it has a little bit of a, a road picture feel to it as well too, yeah. you know, um, and I think Matt I think Matt hit it on the head about what really might be eating at me about this movie was they could have went for it at at the end. Well, I I mean I think I think there was a spot in the middle they could have went for it, and at the end they could have went for it, and I think they just for some reason decided they couldn't go there. Yeah, and so. Off the air, I really want to hear what you think. What you? I'm really excited to hear what you because I felt I can't frame into words what I thought it was, but I had that exact same feeling. Yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, no. Adam's right. It's hard to it's 
It's hard to pin this movie down. I think I fell victim to the hype train. And that's not to say this isn't a good movie, right? I'm not saying that at all. But when people start talking about it like they did, I'm expecting one thing and it kind of, I mean, I don't know. I don't. And maybe I did too, Matt. Maybe I fell victim to that hype train. Because I thought, oh, they're sitting it up, it's, you know. And there was some chemistry between the characters, and I thought, oh, the, you know. I mean, when they first showed Professor X and that first three, four minutes of his character, I got pumped. I, I did got too. Unbelievably I, I, I got, excited. I was getting chills, and I was like, wow, this movie's going to go for it. They're going to go, you know. And they t- they did in one sense, you know. Oh, I don't know. Here's another thing. Like I said, it's hard to peg it into the genre where this is a comic book movie, but the action scenes don't, they're heavy and it's not fun to watch Wolverine tear people apart in this one. And it's the mood of the movie, I think, because normally in a comic book movie, you get a little bit of a joy watching Batman take out a room full of villains. There's no joy. In it. This is brutal. The action scenes are not and meant may- to be fun. Yeah, and maybe no. that was part of the. And maybe if that was the what the director is trying to do, Mangold, if that's what he's trying to do, he succeeded in communicating that sadness to me. Every time the superheroes in this movie had to kill, I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this phrase in a sentence that the superheroes had to kill someone. Even just that phrase in itself kind of messes them with, well, with my head compared to John Wick. Those action scenes, he drops a hundred guys and you're having fun the whole time. He's yeah. blowing people's brains I, out. I know you're talking like sad for the action scenes. For me, the thing that came across, and I think this is a credit to the director, was desperation. There, it was not fun. Like I felt like there was in every fight there was desperation and a heaviness. There was yeah, just, yeah. Yeah, and it was, we got to get there. We got to survive. We just got to get this job done. We got to get them to where they need to go. Yeah. Spoilers. <laughs> uh, what did I say that was a spoiler? I didn't say one thing that was a spoiler. I'm not going to repeat it. I'll tell you over break. Oh, you know what? Get over <laughs> yourself, spoilers. Uh, from the, I didn't say anything that wasn't in the trailers. We're good. All right. Anyway. All right. So, Adam. Of all the X-Men movies, where would you put it? I still have a soft spot for the first one because it was kind of the rebirth of the comic book movie for us. It kicked off the modern era. I like the second one. I really like First Class. I hate X-Men Origins Wolverine, the one with the bad Deadpool. This is top three. Top three? All right. Yeah. I think I would go X-Men 2... First class, and then this. So for me, um, I loved the first. Is the first movie the one where they show him and he's in Wolverine's in a bar? He's like fighting up in Can Alaska or something. With the finale at the Statue of Liberty. Yes, yeah. that that's my favorite one because I I'd have a saw. I was like, oh, I love this character. I liked Hugh Jackman the whole nine yards, and then. Is that the same one? See, because I'm terrible at this. I liked the one with the Magneto backstory where it starts out in World War II and the camps and stuff. Which one was? I liked that one. Well, First Class showed a lot of that when he was younger, too. Wow. But I think the first movie starts out that way. Maybe. I think it might. The so first may- scene in the first movie okay. is yeah. so, the so, so I, I like the first movie as my top. This, as far as a craft, I think was much better.
better made than any of the other Wolverine movies. So I would put it at number two. All right. Anyone else have anything to say about it? Well, we have to do our... No, you, no don't put me to a vote tonight. Yes, you're going to a vote tonight. <laughs> do a vote! This is whether or not it ends up on our TFC Recommends page. Suck it up, buttercup. And again, the criteria is if a stranger came up to you and said, would you recommend Logan? And since it's R, you can assume the stranger's over 17. Sure. And it's not a four-year-old saying, should I go see Logan? Would you recommend it? I'll start off first. I never go first. And I say yes. I think it's a good movie. I would caution them that it's not a fun movie. It's such a, it is a heavy sit. But I think this is a good movie and I would recommend it. I will go next so we can dispense with the long break of discussion when we (laughs) find out what Roger wants. Um, I would say yes as well. Um, I think with that same caveat, if you're expecting a Marvel feel-good superhero movie, that's not what you're in for. But um, a little emotionally deeper and heavy, but a good film. A a really good film. Roger. As he, as he, he's furiously rubbing his brow. He is. I I'm going to say no. I'm not going to recommend it. I can't. I'm sorry. I, I just, it messed with me. I, I mean, is it probably the second best Wolverine movie? Absolutely. Was it, seems very well crafted. Yes. But I, I just, I find too many things that I didn't like about the movie to recommend it. I'm sorry. I, so for me, it's a no. Why are you apologizing to us? No, I feel bad though. You know, so. I'm sorry, no. <laughs> I do want to close out on this note. I want more comic book movies to take these kind of risks. I do too. So I'm very happy it's made. Yeah. I'm glad it's going in a different direction because Deadpool itself was a risk. Going R, going that kind of crazy. This is a different type of risk, going yeah. for some more emotional drama. Yeah. So I think that's a very positive move for the genre. Yeah, and I I hope it does well. Um, and I hope if they try to do this emotional drama with a superhero movie, I... I hope next time they just go for it and don't, you know, soften blows and, and pull away from some stuff that would be really hard for people to watch. Just go for it. I like too. this is not a cookie cutter film. Like even Dr. Strange. I like it fits the mold hero, villain, villains, threat grows showdown. This isn't that movie. No. It's outside the mold. And I like what they did with it. Yeah. I'm glad I went and saw it. And I'm glad they decided to make that decision to do that. And I'm glad they tried to do this movie. So just let me get it straight. You would not recommend any other X-Men movie other than the very first X-Men movie. So, no, what? No, you rated it your second, second X-Men movie of all time. Yes. And you wouldn't recommend it. You rated one above it, which was the very first X-Men yes. movie. So to anyone listening, you would not recommend any X-Men movie other than the very first one. Thanks for that hate mail, but yes, that is correct. <laughs> I just want to make sure. Because I, I, several of those I absolutely hated. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I mean, there's certain ones I wouldn't wish yeah. on anybody. But So right. thanks, Matt, for that, uh, <laughs> for that email I'm going to get now from all the comic book fans out there. <laughs> I just had to make sure I heard it right. Oh, okay. All right. So with that, uh, we'll take a break and we'll be back uh, in a little bit.
All right, we're back. We're going to discuss our Oscar bet since we are now post-Oscars. And before we get to the result, I thought maybe we should talk about the Oscars a little bit. There are a few noteworthy things that happened. Just a few noteworthy things, right? Yeah. Well, how about this? Netflix and Amazon both got statues. Uh, Amazon put out Manchester by the Sea in the theaters, and Netflix had the documentary The White Helmets. So they're both first time winners, which is just now coming on Netflix. I saw, yeah, I saw an ad, saw an ad for it, and I actually voted for that one. I just thought, oh, okay, let, white helmets. Let's just pick that one. I had no idea in that category. <laughs> oh man, and gloat some more. And, and you know, <laughs> here's the deal that they, I I loved the opening number. I loved the Justin Timberlake. I was kind of bouncing around on the couch. First of all, I'm not a huge Oscar guy, and I really don't really care a whole lot about the whole awards ceremony itself. But I usually watch just because I want to see what happens, you know, and I love film. Uh, And sometimes it's awkward, and sometimes it's political, and sometimes you just roll your eyes because Hollywood's in love with itself, you know. But normally they do like a big show number highlighting a lot of the films in the beginning. And they just kind of, they tried to make it fun and they tried to do something different. Some people hated the opening and I get it, but I loved it. I loved the song. It was from uh, the movie Trolls and and it was fun and upbeat, and people were kind of bouncing around. And then I, I, I thought Fallon did pretty good. I, he's, he, it was Jimmy Kimmel. I mean, it's Fallon. Sorry. That was a slip. I thought Kimmel did good. I, you know, he he comes out. He's making fun of Trump and the whole thing. You know, and and I don't know. I I thought it was rolling along pretty good. I thought, okay, you know, we made a shift in the positive. Um, yeah, and then it train wrecked at the end. <laughs> they had their Steve Harvey moment. Oh my gosh! See, yeah. Here's my thing. I know when it came out, I, I Warren Beatty did not cause this problem. I know when it came out, they're like, oh, what did he do? He did nothing. He, he did, did the correct thing. He went, something's wrong here. Yep. And, and I don't know if you listened to the opening, our opening soundbite is the announcement of La La Land for Best Picture. And then I cut into them realizing they made a mistake. And then they announced Moonlight as Best Picture. If you listen very closely in the background to our opening monologue, our opening soundbite, you can hear Warren Beatty say, it said, um, you know, Emma Stone, La La Land. You can hear him say, the card said Emma Stone. I, you, I mean, you, you have to listen closely, but it's there. You can hear it. Put on a pair of headphones. You can hear it. And uh, no, what his mistake? What do you do? You open up the ballot and it says Emma Stone, La La Land. And he's, he's like, what? Well, how about so, you look at the envelope and when it says best actress on it, you look at the person that hand you the envelope and said, say you got it wrong could i have the right envelope please there was a post-mortem today that explained what actually happened okay so there's two accountants from price cooper waterhouse on each side of the stage one on each side of the stage they're the only two that know all the results right and they have duplicate envelopes because people can come from the right or left to do the presentation the guy on the right is the one who messed up and he was texting the whole night there's all this footage of him hanging around on his phone not paying attention and the thing that made a lot of people mad is neither he nor the other lady that was the accountant stepped in. They knew it was wrong when they announced La La Land, and they both froze. Their job is if they get it wrong, they have to get on the stage before the winners get up there because oh, there's a delay. Man. Fire them, man. That's what so, I say. Whoa, 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 whoa. I, 
I'm not. I don't want to ruin a guy's life because he handed someone a wrong envelope. That Send is him down the road. Ridiculous. Axing. So you've never messed up, Roger. Never. Here's the wow. thing. Wow, that's your job, man. They froze. Yeah. The only reason that a producer noticed something was wrong is the people were coming up to the stage. Warren Beatty was showing everyone the envelope. So the producer on the right side is like, "Why is why is the envelope a big deal?" So he looks at the table and sees the best picture envelope sitting there. And he's the one that runs out. Oh, my goodness. And then gets a hold of the producer who was in the middle of his speech and gave him the real envelope they open up. And then he holds it up and says, Moonlight won. So. It, it was one of those surreal moments. Of, of That's why you watch live TV. You're like, what? I remember I was texting Adam. I was like, what's going on? You texted me and you were like, they gave him the wrong card. And I'm like, what? They gave him the wrong card. <laughs> see, see to me, I'll be honest. I didn't see the moment, right? I didn't see it till the next day. Um, I probably would have turned off my TV anyway. Too awkward. Too awkward. Can't take it. Can't take movies with awkwardness in them. Have to turn away. So I would have probably, because I empathize with the the people so much, it it becomes overwhelming emotionally. I have to look away. And that is definitely a situation that is too real for me. Too much embarrassment. I would have to turn it off. <laughs> I will say this, though. The La La Land, La La Land people handled it great. They yeah. immediately said, yeah. come on up here. They handed them the trophy. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah, the producer for La La Land was very gracious, said something to the effect, I'm, I'm proud to hand this to my friends over there at Moonlight. And how about Moonlight winning Best Picture? Now, I, I, you could, I would have never saw that. I, I didn't see it, so I can't. Well, Adam and I went to the theater and saw it together, and we thought it was an okay film. We liked, we liked, we loved the first two acts, but we both kind of felt the third act felt really flat, and was, it didn't make not one of our top ten films of 2016. Moonlight's a good movie, and if it had kept the energy, and like I said, those first two acts are powerhouse acts. Watching that movie, sitting there, I'm like, yeah, I can see why the love happens for this movie but yeah the third act kind of fell flat for me and maybe manchester i would have guessed manchester by the sea would have got it if it wasn't going to be a la la land but i guess in some of the award ceremonies leading up it was moonlight and la la land back and forth and and check this out moonlight wins best picture and it costs like one and a half million dollars to make and only made like 23 million dollars in the theater those are like both records for like best picture films kind of deal. You know, it's just like, and, and really who saw moonlight? Not really anybody. I, I can, I promise you if I took a poll on my Facebook and said, how many of you saw the film moonlight? I would be shocked of my hundreds of friends on Facebook, thousand friends. If three people in my friends list said they saw moonlight. So I, I don't know. I, 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 I mean, good for them. It was a small indie kind of film, and I'm I'm glad that you know. But I don't know. I, I was like, it, I'm speechless. I don't know. <laughs> One thing I wish they would fix is I think they need more nominees for best foreign picture. They get submissions from eighty countries, and they pick five. Five films. Be it, we do what ten now for best picture? Yeah. Nine or ten? There's nine yeah, this year. Nine. Yeah. yeah. Up to 10 can yeah. be. For years, it was just five. And then they said, well, we can do up to 10. So then they did 10 for a couple of years. And yeah. Because I, I personally feel it was a crime that The Handmaiden 
and L were not in that list. Well, I haven't seen L, but I have seen The Handmaiden, and I'm very surprised. Yes, it should have been in the best foreign. It is really good. Absolutely. What else from Oscar night, Adam? You, uh, Matt, how much of it did you catch any of it at all, really? Or um, I had something going on at the time, so I kind of had it on in the background, uh, but I wasn't really paying attention to it because I had a prior obligation. Right. So. Okay. And Adam, you watched it all, right? Yeah, I saw the whole thing. So, what other anything else noteworthy from this from the TV show from the from the show? Uh, OJ Made in America won Best Documentary. Now the category is documentary feature, and as you may know, the OJ documentary was on TV. Yeah, made by ESPN. It was a mini series. I think of it as a mini series, not as a feature, because it's eight hours long. And I just worry this might be a slippery slope because I don't think it's fair to some of the other documentary feature makers that they don't get that much material in stuff that they're putting in the theaters. Yeah. Or they don't get the built-in audience of an ESPN or something like that. Yeah, I agree. It's a very slippery slope. I, I don't – I question whether – I know it has to be have been shown in the theater to be considered, and it was probably shown in a couple theaters over a weekend somewhere. But, yeah, I don't – I don't know how I feel. I, I've seen the first two hours of it. I've seen the first two segments of the four, and they're very compelling. I'll give them that. Very compelling to watch. But I wouldn't go to a movie theater and sit for eight hours to watch this documentary in one sitting. That's 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 nuts. Okay. Well, let's get to the results of our bet. Oh, yes. As you may have seen, I posted it on the website. Roger absolutely destroyed us. <laughs> Matt, how many did you have right um, I don't. Did you actually say? Because once I started looking, did you post the actual numbers on our webpage? No. Oh, geez. I don't know. Maybe like four. <laughs> I had seven. Yeah. Roger had 16 out of 24. And I missed best picture. I went with La La Land. What a crazy. F- and I even had it marked on my sheet. I was, I was highlighting which each category the winner was. And I was like, um, oh, yes, I've won like 17, man. I killed it this year. And then I missed it. Moonlight actually got it. So. So as our first ever winner, you may give a speech. You may, you have the floor, and I won't play you off after thirty seconds. <laughs> all I have to, I just want to thank luck. It was all luck's reasoning for me winning. <laughs> not my manager, not my family, not my hard work, <laughs> not my movie genius or my prowess. I just want to give all the credit to luck. <laughs> because literally the, the ballot was set up in three columns and the far right column was just stuff I had no idea about shorts, shorts and you know, all kinds of adapted screenplay and original screenplay. And I literally guessed on those eight, I guessed on like seven of them and I got seven out of eight right on that right hand column. And I think that's what catapulted me to victory. So yeah. All right. Well, as the first ever winner, you now get to choose a film in theaters that Matt and I have to go see together and review. You what? must make your selection in March, but you don't have to do it today. We will give you the option instead of declaring a movie tonight, you can defer a week, you can defer another three weeks. Okay. So what is your decision? Well, I've given, I've already begun to think about what movie shall I make Adam and Matt go see together at the theater and some movies have come to me, you know. I thought about sending Adam back to see The Great Wall again and dragging Matt with him to do that, but I really wouldn't even wish that on Adam. I'm sorry. <laughs> I appreciate that. 
um, I thought about the glorious feature called the space between us. <laughs> I'm shuddering as in this my chair. It's, I don't even know if it's still in the theater. Um, so I've let that pass. Um, I thought about 50 shades darker. I thought would be might, might be a great choice, but they probably would like that film. So I'm not, I'm not going to send them to go see that. So I'm going to defer this week. Now, now here's the thing. I have a, a, a bright young daughter and she is 14 years old. And so I'm weighing heavily. I am, con- I'm consulting her for what she thinks. What is the one movie she's looking forward to in the next four or five weeks that's getting ready to be released that she's really looking forward to. And so she will help me in picking out this movie for the two of you to go see. You're not going to make us go see burlesque, the heart of heart of the glitter tribe. No, because it's so weird and strange. It probably something y'all would go see anyway. Actually, I was trying to like talk you into it because I would bring my wife along with that because she watches any movie about burlesque. I've just been keeping a stone face when anything bad is a trailer lately. Roger may look at me. That looks terrible, doesn't it? I'll just be like, nope, looks fine because I don't want to play up any of my weaknesses for yeah, movies we coming were, out. We were in the movie and this is not to say anything bad about the movie. But if you've been going to movies over the past several months, you will realize that the trailer for life oh, has, yes. it's before like every movie I've seen. And when it came on, I just went, ugh. And Adam immediately shoots me a look and goes, I'm not saying anything about any movie at all. <laughs> <laughs> Looks fine to me. Looks yeah, good. sure. So don't worry. It will be, br- I promise you this. I will do my best to make it brutal and horrific and painful and uh, as you guys would have done to me if one of you would have won yes absolutely fair is fair <laughs> oh yeah yeah i mean make it make it bad okay so roger has elected to defer so you have to tune in next week to see if he'll make his choice or defer yet another week All right so before we get off the oscar stuff i some comments were made while we've been talking about this and i i, I have a question so, in the supporting actor-actress categories, should there be a limitation on screen time? Adam? This is about uh, Viola Davis. Yes. Not uh, to take anything away from her performance. It has nothing to do with it. Yeah. She was submitted as a supporting actress, and I've not seen Fences, but it's my understanding she is pretty much the primary character. She's in every scene. And whether or not the studio, because it's the studio that picks where you submit them, maybe send her down there for the perceived weaker competition that's up for grabs, or maybe they all felt they were supporting each other. There's no clear definition. Mm, interesting. I've not seen Fences. I know um, one of our guest reviewers, uh, Aaron, she wrote a review on Fences. Or no, that was that was Hidden Figures. Hidden Figures. No, I, I don't know. I haven't seen I haven't seen it Fences either, so I don't. I want to see it, but I, so I can't comment, you know, the same could be said for, um, the girl in Manchester by the sea who just, she's in, she, the, the, the wife, she's just in that movie and she was up for supporting. Yeah. she was just in it for a snippet of time, but I don't know. I don't know how long she was in it. Uh, you know, it's such a gray area, you know, I don't know, Matt. Well, I mean, the only reason I ask is because a lot of people are saying she deserved a nomination for best actress. 
But that wasn't the Academy's fault. It's no, just- no, no. Absolutely, absolutely it wasn't. But if you set a limitation in place, it forces whoever has to make those decisions, the studio producers, whoever it may be, to put these actors and actresses in the correct category. That's well, it. Well, if the, stu- if the studio that produces the movie, they submit, you said, right? Then I think there ought to be a review board in the Academy that says, well, we, we appreciate this, but we really think you need to submit into this. I think they ought to be given the right to submit where they think it should be. But there ought to be some kind of re- – if this is really an egregious, if this is really a leading role, and she was put in this supporting role as, quote, unquote, the weaker category, which I think that's crazy – talk you know because you can be in a movie for two minutes and make a huge impact you know in the movie um maybe there ought to be a review board that says hey you know and it's tough to say look at a movie like the breakfast club there's no main character are they all supporting no you're it's an ensemble cast yeah but i think but i think if you have certain rules in place um you don't i mean because if someone puts you in as a weaker category i think that's a disservice to the actor or actress that's that's it, right? I mean, like I said, it, this isn't anything against Viola Davis or the performance she had. It's more about giving these actors and actresses their due, right? Yeah. So that, that's my only concern. So because I, I know there was some some questioning about it online. So um, I just want to bring it up and see everyone's opinion. I wouldn't have a problem if they said if you're in this many scenes or you have this much screen time, then you know, or a percentage compared to what? So, but yeah. you know, that may be too hard, maybe more of a feel thing. So it is what it is, I guess. Sure. Anything else? Not for me. No, let's move right along. Okay, we're back, and we have a bonus review this week. I managed to get into an advanced screening of Table 19, which opens tomorrow. If you've seen the trailer, it looks like The Breakfast Club meets Wedding Crashers. It's an ensemble comedy about a group of strangers at a wedding. Sorry, there's all kinds of hand gestures going on around <laughs> I was me. trying to get a pin from Roger, and Sorry. I raised my hand above my head. And I was making sure nothing was on fire before yeah, I continued. No, nothing's on smoke, fire. Smoke, smoke. I, I, I need a writing implement. All right. Sure. So, so Table 19. Table 19, ensemble comedy, uh, breakfast club at a wedding. And when I went to see it, there were no reviews. So I walk out of it, and I didn't really like it. But I wondered maybe it was just me. I, I didn't really laugh. It's a comedy. Yeah. But it's not very funny. The humor is gentle, <laughs> to put it nicely. Um, inconsequential humor. Oh, still stuff going on all over the place. So, sorry, Adam. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's, it's, I'm trying to add humor to the humorless movie that you're yeah, reviewing. This is funnier than the movie I saw. That was Table 19. Oh, I'm just glad we're not shooting the video cast right now. <laughs> Actually, I would kind of like it. I don't have any problem with it. It's what I had a choice Tuesday night. I could have saw Table 19 or I could have seen United Kingdom. And I went with Table 19 because it was written by the Duplass brothers. And I like their stuff. Mark, um, safety not guaranteed. 
They did great H- movie. They did a HBO show called Togetherness, which I liked. And yes. in that show, they could really capture some family dynamics. It's a family falling apart, but they f- they find the funny moments in it. And this movie just misses that. I mean, I was surprised thinking that this should be the strong point of the movie, and it just doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, and you mentioned ensemble cast. I mean, it has Anna Kendrick, who I I'll go ahead and say this. The Pitch Perfect movies, I really enjoy her. And I enjoy her about everything she's in. Um, Craig Robinson, I mean, he's funny. That's, I mean, the cast looks like, you look at it and you go, this should be pretty good. So I was kind of shocked when you came back and said, nah, not so funny. They completely waste Stephen Merchant. How, how does like dry British humor fit in with the rest of the... I guess more American style humor. Uh, here's the weird thing about the comedy in this movie. There's four or five Pratt falls. Like they're going for that to be funny. Someone falling out of their chair, tripping over a log, uh, knocking a wedding cake over. It's the, the easy, the low hanging fruit of the comedy world. And I, a lot of the humor is really forced and feels kind of sitcommy. And when I looked up the director, who's Jeffrey Blitz, he's done most of his work on the office. And then I'm like, oh, that makes sense. I mean, that's the humor in this movie. It's like a sitcom. No, that, that's disappointing. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm not a big sitcom guy. Like, I grew up on British television. I'll watch a British sitcom, but I like that style of humor more than I like American sitcom humor. And the other thing in this movie is they, they add in some drama, melodrama. And it just flows between gentle, not funny comedy <laughs> to not so great drama back to the comedy that's not good so you're just kind of bouncing back and forth like bad drama not funny comedy bad drama boring and it's it's a short movie it's like 86 minutes thank god right (laughs) but i was bored i don't think i laughed once oh man i love the description gentle not funny comedy (laughs) i'm not kidding like steven merchant plays an alien pretty much he's not an alien but he's just this oddball character and like the jokes from him are just him not answering questions and drinking wine he just stares at people and drinks wine and they do it over and over again that is a waste of steven merchant he's witty he's fast-tongued he should be just talking a mile a minute and he's not and they couldn't figure out what to do with him so the duplass brothers did not have much to do with this movie i saw they turned in the script in 2009 oh wow so that's at the beginning of their career. doesn't look like they've touched it ever since. They just had a story by credit. So they did not result the final screenplay. Oh, yeah, because the screenplay is Jeffrey Blitz himself. Yep. Oh, yeah. So that, that may explain a little bit. He just felt out of his league. There's a red herring that goes off in this movie that's really bad. And it feels like an alternative universe at times because this is the longest reception in history. They have time to meet each other. Anna Kendrick keeps leaving the table. It's still going on. They go for a long walk in nature. The reception's still going on. <laughs> they go up to the room and change clothes and hang out. Reception's still going on. It just feels like this reception no, took place for know. three days. I don't know. It sounds like the movie's not very funny, but your description of this movie is quite comical. I'm enjoying it very much. And I had a bad day at work that day. There was <laughs> stress. And, you know, things weren't going great. And I went to see this movie and I walked out and I didn't like it. And you're like, comedy, yes, it'll get me cheery, lighthearted. It'll make my day better. (laughs) 
And I thought, is it just me? <laughs> Am I having that bad of a day? Because you can have that. You can watch a movie completely in the wrong mood and just not get it. Then I went to uh, Rotten Tomatoes when the reviews finally went up and it's at 18%. And most people echoing what I'm saying, that not funny, not good drama, waste of time movie. So Well, I'm sorry you went to see this, Adam. It is what it is. So uh, Table 19 is out tomorrow. I do not recommend this. <laughs> it's not a good not a good movie. It's out tomorrow. There are better things you could spend your money on, like Logan. Most of the movies right now are good. If you look up, because all the Academy yeah. Award winners are still yeah. up. Oh, yeah. yeah. Table 19, Fifty Shades Darker. They're about the only ways you can go wrong right now. <laughs> oh, really, Adam? No. <laughs> it's fine. It's all fine. <laughs> it's all fine, Roger. Don't send me to this movie again. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, uh, I'm excited about our next segment. We're going to do a little comic book segment, right? Underrated comic book movies. Yep. I'm excited. So anything else from Table 19? Do you have the Men in Black memory wiper? <laughs> Sorry, I do not. Wow. No. I'm overplaying it. It's just aggressively as mellow. You know, my wife has seen a lot of movies with us. Over the years, right? So my wife has an all-time low movie that anytime I say, well, that movie's eh, not so good, she always says, is it worse than this movie? And it could be out of a different category. It's irrelevant. Is it worse than low? No. Okay. It, it is better than the movie known as low. <laughs> All right. Enough said then. So it's not that bad. No, it's not. Yeah. It's in gotcha. theaters. Low was not in theaters. I've seen movies that weren't in theaters that were way better than low. I've seen direct-to-video animation that is way better than low. I have seen commercials on television that I liked better than the movie low. But if uh, anything else you want to say before we move on to the next segment, Adam? Nope. Let's wrap it up. All right. Skip uh, table 19. All right. We'll be right back. In honor of Logan this week, we thought we'd do a short segment here on some underappreciated or underperforming comic book movies, things people may not have seen. Because you can say, yeah, the Avengers is great, but the whole planet has seen the Avengers. So let's do a deep dive and maybe find some titles that people haven't seen. And when we say underappreciated, I mean, maybe it didn't set the world on fire in box office, didn't get critical love, didn't get love from the general population, but you think this is a movie worth seeing. And you would tell someone, hey, go check out this film. Yeah, I was having a hard time with it. So, so at least for me, I came to a criteria. Either one of these two things had to be true. Either the movie lost or really didn't make any money. Or it had to have below... It, it, it had to be like lower than 60% on Rotten Tomato. Something like that. Oh, so like in the 50s okay. somewhere. So that means even if it made money, I could st still consider it <clears throat> if the critics hated it. But if the critics liked it, it had to be one that didn't make any money. Okay. Yeah. My criteria was basically movies that I liked 
that I probably Adam and Matt thought were terrible, or maybe most of the public did, is underappreciated, in my opinion. Well, yeah, I you think know? underappreciated is either either by critics or the populace. And populace I, votes I, with and their I know, wallets. I know my first one. I just know right now you're gonna I'm gonna catch hell over because I would not vote Logan. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, don't give me any grief for my picks here. What? What do you mean your picks? Uh, well, lead us off then. Let's okay. see. So my first, my first underappreciated movie, and here it goes. I'm just going to say it right now is Daredevil with Ben Affleck. Now let me let me qualify this now, okay? I know because you guys are loading up already, but here's the deal: I never saw it in a theater. When I saw it, I saw it. It was either Amazon or HBO. I saw it on TV somewhere. And my first reaction was, that was a heck of a lot better. Everybody said that movie sucked. And I you thought may it was, have actually seen the director's cut. Here. I saw the director's cut is what I saw. I did not see the original theatrical. I've never seen the theatrical release. And so I saw the direct. I found out later I, what I saw was the director's cut. And I remember thinking, this ain't that bad of a movie. I mean... It wasn't a world set the world on fire kind of thing, but I think it to me it was underappreciated. And so that's my first movie of my list of three or four that I have here. The director's cut is definitely better. I've seen them both. Um, Daredevil didn't really work for me, but I appreciated the director cut. That was the movie the director set out to make, and then they cut it back to PG 13, and it lost some of the bite right. and edge that it had. So that was an improvement. Okay. How about you guys? I'm going to go with one I bet neither of you have ever seen. Probably. The Extraordinary Adventures of Adele Blanc-Sec. Uh, you are extremely lucky that I haven't seen it because I may have seen that someone bought it on iTunes and almost watched it because I was like, what is this thing? I watched it again this week. I saw it way back when. It was 2010 movie. Luke Besson. And the reason I, was, I watched it again is because... You remember the movie Tintin uh-huh. that came out recently, the computer yeah. animated? Yeah. That didn't really work for me. It's kind of that older comic pulp adventure style of story. And that's what Adele Blanc Suck is. It's a French movie where she's a travel journalist. But this nails the pulpy feel. There's mummies that come alive. There's a pterodactyl she's hunting down. Special effects are fun. Just all around fun movie. And it worked where Tintin failed. So I'm confident that this is an underperforming movie because no one has seen this yeah, movie outside I'm, of me. I, I never heard of it, but I will check it out now. Yeah, I I almost watched it the other night. <laughs> Matt peeps on my iTunes purchases sometimes. I, I might. I might. Because I, I always feel that Adam's holding back on me. He's got he's got some special gym over there, so I flip over and go, mm, wonder what he's bought recently that I can check out. <laughs> How about you, Matt? Um, well, I'm going to talk about this one first um, because it's the best on my list, I think. Um, and this one, although it has a good score on Rotten Tomatoes, probably lost money. The budget's kind of unclear, um, so it likely lost money, but that's Dread. The new one. Yes, with Urban. Yes, Carl Urban. Carl Urban, not Sylvester Stallone. I I loved Dread. I love. I think it captured Dread. Right. He doesn't take off his helmet. He is in a constant state of perpetual frowning. 
Much like the comic book character. Much like the comic book character. It is, it's just fun. It's just a fun movie. I enjoyed it. And, and you know, all. I've heard you guys talk. I'm going to have to go see this because I've heard you guys both talk about Dread being real. Because I saw the Judge Dread and I was like, I just thought it was a sequel, you know? And I was like, I, I hated the first one. I'm not going to go see this one. But yeah, I'm now my curiosity is peaked. Yeah. If, if you haven't seen Dread I were, and you like action films, I would go see Dread. Yeah. This one definitely underperformed. I remember seeing it opening weekend. I went on the Saturday. And there were like four people in the theater. But this nails Dread. It's the first time they've ever got the license right. And I think it had a lower budget. But where they succeeded is that it's such a contained story. Because Dread is taking out a new recruit. They go to a... It's Mega City 1, so all the buildings are huge. They go to a building and it goes on lockdown. And the rest of the movie is just a firefight with a criminal element in the building. Yeah, and I, I think this... I mean, all right. So from Wikipedia, the budget is between 30 and $45 million. Which is the, nothing for comic yeah. book movie. The box office made forty one point five, so it could have made ten million, could have lost three and a half million, based on estimates. Um, but I think that I think this movie actually got legs on like Netflix and things like that on on the streaming at home. But I don't know. Um, I'd like to think that it did. That's where I saw it. That's where I watched. I mean, I can I literally have probably seen Dread six times because even. Like when it was out, I would be like, man, it's time to go to bed. Let me just throw something on. <gasps> Let's throw on Dread. And I'd stay up and end up watching it just because it's fun. The fun thing about that movie is that it's an adventure. It takes place in one building. But yet at the end, you feel like this is just a normal day in Dread's life. This was nothing special yeah, for this, him. Yeah, this wasn't... Ext- I mean, what you're seeing would be extraordinary in any other film, in any other, in any other character's life. But this was just like a Tuesday for Dread. It's just a Tuesday. It's fine. He gets up and does nice. it again the next day. Nice. Yeah, like John McClane. That happened to him every day. He went to an office building and it was diehard every single day. That's Dread's life. Yeah. Yeah. No, oh, it gosh. was. Yeah. Yeah. Roger, if you hadn't seen that, I'd watch Dread. Okay. It's really I'm, good. I'm going to watch it. So what else on you guys' list? I mean, I have a couple others. What's, what's, it's what's back you, to you. Back to you. Okay. So, so I'm going to catch grief on this one probably, but I don't care. I like it. I know I'm in the minority. We didn't give you grief on Daredevil. I know. I like... Ang Lee's Hulk from 2003. I, I, I'm a huge Ang Lee fan. I know it did not do well at the box office. I know it critically did not do well. I know comic book people did not like this movie. I liked it. I just something about, I like the way he shoots films. I like the way the Hulk was portrayed, how he would grow. And when he, I just, I don't know. Something about this Hulk, he wasn't the... I'll say this. I'm not a huge fan of the current Hulk because of the comic, the comic side of him for, for, and that's a whole nother discussion. But anyway, I don't know. I just, I liked Ang Lee's uh, version of the Hulk. So that's one that I feel is underappreciated from my perspective. Yeah. I wouldn't even have, I mean, on my criteria, this wouldn't even have been on my list. It made a ton of money. And it was over sixty percent on Rotten Tomatoes, so it wasn't even on my radar. To People don't about. like it, though. It's yeah, I know. It's clearly. Yeah. I didn't if look just uh, underappreciated. I, I guess maybe I didn't do the homework because I didn't look any of these up. I don't know what they did box office wise, or you know. Um, but no, but you're. Right. I mean, I think the general consensus is there hasn't been a good Hulk film. I I don't really like this as a film, but I did like it better than the Edward Norton one. I was not a fan at all. I I, hate, I didn't like the Edward Norton one at all, but I, I I don't know. I liked it. I I like it. I, 
I haven't hardly seen anything Ang Lee's done that I didn't like. So, and what I did like about this Hulk movie is the battle in the desert with the tanks. Yes, felt like such golden age Hulk. Yes, they nailed it for that yes. brief shining moment, and then back to. I really hated the Hulk dogs. I, I have a hard time getting past them because well, they look like the dog in the mask, the Jim Carrey movie when he puts the mask on, which might be an under also might be an underrated, underappreciated heroes comic book movie, but it's not on my list. All right, Adam, back to you. Okay. Uh, this one I've thought about because <laughs> I've liked it, but there was a backlash against the movie. It had a terrible second weekend, which demonstrates poor word of mouth. Uh, Non-comic book audiences didn't like it, and comic book audience did not like the changes they made to the story. I but know I, what it is. I like this movie start to finish. I still watch it. If it's on TV, I'll watch it. It's The Watchmen by Snyder. I really liked his version of it. Roger's just nodding. Okay, let me say this. I went back and read the Watchmen series like, I don't know, two or three years after I saw the movie, five years maybe. I don't know how long the movie's been out, but it's been several years after the movie because, and the only reason I purchased this comic book was because I saw that movie and I walked out of that theater going, what the heck did I just watch? What Really? What was that about? And I had never seen anything in the original and everything. And I'm thinking, wow, that's so I was one of those people that just, just did not, I just it hit everywhere. Cause it had one of the biggest drops of all time from first to second weekend. It dropped 68% at the box office and they were calling it a disaster. And it, even the comic book crowd didn't like the changes to the end with Dr. Manhattan and what happened to unite the heroes. <laughs> yeah. They, they made some big changes there. I couldn't speak to those. Now, I did, going back to the comic book and reading through it, I actually read it coming home on vacation. We had a long drive, and I just read some of it, and I I thought it was pretty good, actually. But, whoa, that movie. I'm still wondering about I st- I may I need to watch it again because at the time, I didn't have – I went in cold having never – no inkling of what this was about whatsoever. I just knew it had some buzz and all this stuff, and, yeah. This wouldn't have met my criteria. Because it made money above sixty percent on Rotten Tomato. Its budget is wrong. Is it? Is its budget wrong? On box office, yeah. It, they said like one hundred and thirty. I mean, it was closer. See what it said to Wiki. It says one hundred and thirty on Wikipedia. Yeah, it was closer to two fifty, and that's before marketing. All it, right, it lost so, money. So if it lost money, then it would be on my list. I like The Watchmen. I, I was a fan of the graphic novel, um, and I like the movie. I wasn't pleased with the ending, but I get it. I, I I don't think it detracted that much from the rest of the film. No, the same result. Yeah, and I think it I think it did a good job of capturing the feel of the graphic novel on as it led up to the end. Here you go, Roger. You hear some trivia. Do you know it had a bigger drop for second weekend than Watchmen? No. Batman versus Superman. Oh, I can believe that. It had an 81% drop on the Friday alone and then finished closer to down 70%, I think, on the second weekend. Whereas The Watchmen dropped 67% of its audience from weekend one to weekend two. All right. So I guess it's back to me. Yep. All right. So this, this movie made money 
but under 50% on Rotten Tomato. I watch it when it comes on. There may have been better adaptations of it, but I still watch it. Uh, and that would be Constantine. I I like it. I don't want to tell you. I I mean I I get I get what the critics say, but I don't think it's a forty seven percent on Rotten Tomato. But that's me. I like the movie. Um it felt unique at the time it came out. Yeah. Poor Constantine can never get a shake at anything. The the yeah. movie didn't light the world on fire, didn't get a sequel. The T V show didn't survive its first season. And I think the T V show I like the TV show better than I like Constantine the movie. Yeah, I did too. I like the portrayal of Constantine better. I, I like, I like that, and just there, there just isn't an audience yeah. for this. I haven't seen either one, so I really can't speak to it. Oh, so, yeah. All right. Yeah. All right, Roger. My last movie. I just did three, um, and that's uh, in the spirit of Warren Beatty. I was I liked Dick Tracy, nineteen ninety. Uh, I thought it was fun, quirky. I, I liked it. I, I thought, oh. It, this is like shot like a comic book, you know? Um, and I guess it wouldn't meet Matt's criteria because I'm just, I'm pulling up Rotten Tomatoes now and it was 64%. So I guess it wouldn't. It would have been lower back in the day because for older okay. movies, generally on Rotten Tomatoes, they don't have those reviews. So people that cared enough to write a review to get it on Rotten Tomatoes are oh, more likely positive. Okay. Yeah. So some older movies get more love than they did when they came sure. out. Sure. So anyway. Uh, yeah, and I know people hated that movie. Thought it was just horrible. And and maybe maybe if I went back and watched it now, if I re, if I went back and revisited it, I might not like it as well. But I remember really liking it in the theater at the time. Yeah, I saw that in the theater. I was pumped to go see it, and I remember being horrifically disappointed. So I was one of those people that saw it and was like, yeah, all right. But I wasn't familiar with the comic or anything like that. I just went in cold. You know, and and watch, and I was sure. and I was young, and maybe so. if I revisited, I was young too. Maybe if I revisited it now, I would hate it. I don't, but I remember thinking at the time, this feels like a comic strip. This like it's like they captured that feeling in a movie, you know. So, all right, Adam, back to you. My last one, and I might be the only one that likes this movie, is The Shadow with Alec Baldwin. <laughs> nice. I, have you seen it? I've only seen I have seen pieces it, yes. of the shadow with the Tibetan dagger that flies around. And yes, it's yeah. some early CG work. I don't. I, I don't remember. I don't remember hating it or loving it. But I have seen it. I saw it in the theater. Yeah, I did too. But I don't. I can't remember it to be honest with you. He's like the old comic book hero, the spirit. Have you ever seen Will Eisner's The oh, Spirit? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. The shadow, the hat the butler that drives him everywhere. Nice, nice. So yeah, I like An the shadow. An underappreciated gym there. No one that. has seen the shadow, so <laughs> except you guys. I've yeah. seen bits and pieces. I can't, I may have seen the whole thing through, but I can't remember seeing the whole thing, thing through, but I know I have seen some of it at some time. Yeah. And it got to love my picks. I realized they did two very pulpy stories because with Adele Blanc-Sec and now the shadow, the shadow literally fights Genghis Khan in the movie. He gets resurrected in New York City. <laughs> nice. So, that's what those old comics are like. All right. You don't have any more, Roger. Do you have any more, Adam? Those are my three. All right. So I will do my last two. Um, so my next movie got a good score on Rotten Tomatoes, 81, but lost money. Uh, and that would be Scott Pilgrim versus the World. I really like that movie. I like it, too. Yeah, I, I love it. And Roger, of course, hasn't seen it. I haven't seen it. 
Well, that's all right. Have you seen the rest of Edgar Wright's stuff? Sean, th- Sean of the Dead. No. You haven't seen... Whoa. Hold on. No. You haven't seen Sean of the Dead? Because it's in the horror genre. Why would no. I... No. I know it's comedy horror. All right. Have you seen... Okay. Have you seen Hot Fuzz? Hot Fuzz is the best Edgar Wright uh, movie. No. Have you seen... What is it? End of the World or... What World's is, End. World's End. Have you seen World's End? Nope. Now I'm jealous of you. Because <laughs> you get to watch him again for the first time you know, at some point. Yes, the Cornetto. Because yes. we do have movie homework <laughs> each week. I love Hot I have, Fuzz so much. I, out of all those, I'll be honest, Hot Fuzz is my favorite. Yeah, it's my favorite too. Yeah, I, I love it. Okay. I, I love Hot Fuzz. Well, maybe one week that'll be my homework. And if I like Hot Fuzz, I'll go on to some of the others. And so I have one more, and I'm, and then I'm done. So... This movie I didn't even know was based on a comic book. I went in and told Adam I was so excited. I'm like, I think I found a comic book movie. And he goes, oh, yeah, that's like from EG Comics in the 50s. <laughs> and I just, you know, hung my head and walked back to my office. Sorry. It's all right. Um, but Weird Science. Oh, yeah. 1985. Uh, it's a John Hughes movie. And I'm a sucker for John Hughes movies. And uh, it made money, had a budget of like $7 million, made 28 but only got I like a 56 it. on Rotten Tomato. And yeah, I, I remember watching it as a kid going, that's the girl from the Pantene commercials. And I, I loved it. When they're sitting there typing away at their computer with the stupid bras on their head and making their woman. I, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that was, that's and in the, my wheelhouse. The, the, and pour one out for Bill Paxton. Yes. Yeah, and it has Bill Paxton in it. Yes. So there you go. Absolutely. It's Chet. Yep. <laughs> the, the blob that Chet becomes. Oh, man, so good. I loved Weird Science. That was and what's funny is my, my my best buddy from high school, Carl. So if you're listening, Carl, this is a shout out to you. Carl either had a bootlegged copy or a copied off of HBO, for a VHS copy of Weird Science. But he had somehow missed like the first two minutes of the movie where he comes down in his underwear or something or she comes. Anyway, there's this whole, the first two minutes I never saw. And we watched this movie at least 30 times right in high school just we wanted to laugh we'd put it into vcr and watch it you know and then i saw it years later on tv and i was like there's a whole part of this movie i haven't seen the beginning opening credits but love weird science love love you know uh i loved the older brother uh yeah great loved it okay so before we close out this segment i put a poll on facebook i i asked people what their favorite comic book movies were. These are not underappreciated. This was just because it was Logan week. I asked people, you know, what are some of your favorites? So my former coworker, Nicole, listed Deadpool, Doctor Strange, and Michael Keaton's Batman. Michael Keaton's Batman. I know she saw Batman versus Superman with us, and she was not a fan of that one, but I don't know her thoughts on Chris Nolan's Batman. Right now, Michael Keaton is the best Batman ever. The original, 1989 is the best Batman movie, hands down. I will argue that to the end of my day. So I agree with Nicole 100%. I can't go there. Absolutely. There has never been a better Bruce Wayne than Michael Keaton. I don't watch Batman for Batman. I watch Batman for the villain. So mine would be Heath Ledger's Joker. That just it puts it over the top for me. Anyway, sorry. Uh, Chris, <laughs> who I played some card games with, said V for Vendetta. And yep. he actually named his cat Evie after Natalie Portman's character from that movie. 
Uh, Joey from Columbus said Sin City, Ghost World, and Old Boy. Did you know? I, have, I haven't seen Ghost World. I'll be honest with you. So um, yeah. <laughs> Did you know Old Boy was based on a manga? No, I can't keep track. Can't keep track of all the manga that's out there. I'll yeah. be honest with you. Oh, what is Old Boy though? Who on who's in Old Boy? Is that have- the not the American one, not the Spike Lee one? Okay, gotcha. Uh, Derek, our coworker here, said Captain America, of course. Yeah, of course. All right. Yeah. Keisha said Guardians of the Galaxy and Doctor Strange, so she's a Marvel <laughs> fan. Yeah. Yep. And Kara, who I went to high school with, said Deadpool, Guardians, Punisher. I don't know which Punisher. Hmm. Uh, Captain America: Winter Soldier, which I agree with her. I think that's the best Captain America film. I agree too. The Dark Knight, and she wants to give a shout out to The Walking Dead. It's not a movie, but it is a comic book. Speaking of Punisher, on my list, and I took it off just because I have the Punisher Dirty Laundry on there for underappreciated comic book. For those that don't know, Punisher Dirty Laundry was a short made with Thomas Jane in it Yes, to try to get some reinterest back in the Punisher franchise for him to play the character again. Yeah. And it's like, it's like a YouTube fanfic thing or, or sort it's of, a, I mean, it is, no, no, but no. it's more than it's, that. The quality is, it's excellent. It's very, very good. Yeah. So yeah, you can find it. All you have to do is Google it. The Punisher dirty laundry and it's essentially uh, Punisher doing some laundry. <laughs> and last but not least, our good friend, Chris Davis said, Fritz, the cat, Electra, the phantom and Howard, the duck. He so is trolling us. He's trolling, but then he said he was serious about Fritz the Cat and Howard the Duck. I can't get over H- Howard the, the inner Duck species scene in Howard the Duck. I just yeah. Howard the it. Duck is one of those movies that has a certain type of humor that some people just. I have a Carl, my buddy, loved Howard the Duck. I hated it. I hated it, and he loved it. It just has a certain kind of humor that. Yeah, I've never been a fan of it. Yeah, I but, hate Howard the Duck. Yeah. So there we go. All Those right. are some people's right. favorite comic book movies. And we have movie homework coming up. I'm excited about talking about movie homework this week. So we'll be right back. We are back, and it is time for our weekly movie homework segment. This is the segment where we give each other movies to watch, and then we give little reviews of them. So this week I'll start with Matt, who watched Lady Snowblood, and that's a movie Roger assigned to him. So if you've listened to any of these, uh, you don't hear the, the uh, I guess, outside of the podcast conversations about Roger feeling awful that he only gives me movies that I seem to hate. I know. So I think he intentionally went out of his way to find a movie that was older, yet he believed I was going to like. I told him not to worry about it. Um, But I digress. Lady Snowblood. Um, For those of you that don't know, uh, it's a story of revenge. Uh, It was uh, it's a Japanese film based off of a manga. Um, And uh, it's was the kind of like the the backbone for Kill Bill. So the story is essentially a woman is wronged 
Her family is killed by these four individuals. She goes to prison. She gets taken captive by one of them. She kills him, goes to prison, has a child, asks all the other women in prison to raise this child to avenge her. She calls her her Asira, which in in Buddhism is this um, just violent spirit, if you will. Um, Kind of above man, below God level, and we'll we'll just kill anything it comes across, kind of emotionless killing machine. Um, And that's what this girl becomes. And she goes out, sets out to to kill these people that wronged her mother uh, and succeeds uh, while making some enemies along the way. Uh, but I liked it. I, I, I loved it. Um, I, I loved the, the look and feel and texture. And you can definitely tell that this inspired Kill Bill. Yeah. So, and that's the whole reason I, you know, I'm a huge Tarantino fan, love his films. And I was uh, watching some of the background stuff on Kill Bill, some of the extra scenes or whatever commentaries. And he talked about Lady Snowblood. And I was like, Lady Snowblood? I wonder if you can still get that. And so on a whim, I ordered the Blu ray that was a, then I found out it was a Criterion collection, which is like, you know, a bunch of really smarter people than me that say this is a film worthy of preservation and it brings artistic merit, you know. I just I, I do wish that I had seen the original shot of it. The only reason is some things on the criterion I noticed when you when they upscale it to two K because right. it's upscaled. When there's some some moving scenes, there'll be some distortion top and bottom. It looks like where they kind of spread it out to go you know, full screen instead of letterboxed or really you know, four by three. Yeah. Now, see, I didn't notice that. I watched it first on my computer and then I watched it again on my 1080p screen. And I didn't notice that either time when I watched it. I wonder if it's because you upscaled to 2K. Well, I mean, it is upscaled to 2K. That's, That's the I'm criterion saying. is upscaled. It upscaled the original cut of the movie up to 2K. Right. So I think in that upscaling some distortion, uh-huh. I mean, Trust me, it's not distracting. It's fine. It wasn't um, during any of the scenes like that really mattered. It was more of the slower scenes. But I mean, this this movie. I mean, if you've seen Kill Bill and you go watch Lady Snowblood, you're gonna feel you've seen Lady Snowblood. Yeah, absolutely. There's the old priest or monk training this girl to, and it's pretty brutal. Uh, the training she goes through. And then she goes out in revenge, and and she doesn't show any emotion, essentially, until she thinks that she won't, that that some of these individuals have already died. And that, like, devastates her, her, that she's not the one that's going to be able to kill these people. Yeah, she travels to the one town and finds out the guy's already dead, and it's like... Right. I mean, it turns out that he's not, and she, you know... (laughs) I'm, spoiler alert! Spoiler, for, it's 1973 yeah. film. <laughs> so, um, and, and I like it that I like towards the end that she she makes an enemy. One one of the people she kills has a family, a daughter that stabs her at the end. But then the end is, I mean, she lays essentially lays down in the snow to die, but then wakes up the next morning. So. I don't know how the manga went. I don't know if she woke up the next morning. I mean, I would have felt satisfied if she had just died in the snow. I don't feel that 
you know, I, I would have been like, her job is done. That's that's her mission that her mother set her out for. And I kind yeah. of felt sad for her the entire movie, to be honest, because her life was, you know, this is the whole nature versus nurture argument. And she was nurtured her entire life to be this instrument of vengeance for her mother. Yeah. Now, now, did you feel in the birthing scene in the prison, I've heard him talking commentaries that it's it's implied kind of that the mother's essence went into the baby. Did you catch that at all or feel that? Well, I mean, she actually said that. I mean, when you watch the film, well, she actually uh, yeah. said, my spirit is going to dwell within this person and be their, you know, my vengeance carried right. up through them. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but there wasn't like your normal trope where there's like lightning crash and like a oh, glint yeah. in the eye yeah. or anything like that. It was like a Disney movie when they switch yeah. bodies or yeah. they pee in a fountain together <laughs> where they I, stare I at each though, other and have the realization. I will say, though, if you there are several shots and I can't really remember a lot of them now, but where if you look at Kill Bill and some of the kills that she did. And you go to Lady Snowblood, you'll see her use the sword and kill, and the blood will shoot in the exact same manner because he just so much liked the stylized yeah. bleeding. You oh, know. no, absolutely. And I think, but I think what Kill Bill sometimes uses a happy accident that happened in Lady Snowblood. So as I was researching the movie after watching, I went in and started reading up about it and everything. And there was, uh, and so there's a lot of blood in this movie, but it's fake looking. It's, you know, 1973 yes, blood. Yes. Um, but they all had like the burst packs and it would, you know, spurt out or whatever. But there's a scene and everyone kept talking about that a blood pack didn't really burst. It kind of missed it out and shot right in the actress's face and she kept going. And there, there is a scene you can see she, she stabs a guy, the blood pack kind of miss out all this blood and it just coats this actress's face. She keeps going and it, is I think that's powerful. She was just like, I don't care. Here I go. And I think the actress they got to to play the main character, Yuki, um, was great. Yeah, she was, she was nice and emotionless through the yep. through the entire thing. Um and I think the guy they got to play the the newspaper reporter at the time was really good. I will say my only the only thing that detracted it for me, right? So this movie is set in like what 1890s, yeah, I, early I, I 1900s, somewhere yeah. in there. And for the first part of the movie, the music is great, right? And you can definitely feel its its influence on Kill Bill. But then when you get to the the guy, the newspaper reporter, his part of that story comes on. They start playing like 70s, like Japanese funk. And I was just like, but, but the music was so good up to this point. Why do we have to switch over if, to like 70s? I wonder if the funk just didn't age well. I mean, maybe it was better back then. I mean, but it was just, it was a stark contrast to this like, you know, traditional Japanese feeling music. And then here's funk music all of a sudden. And it just, it, that was a bit jarring. But other other than that small thing, I really like the movie. Oh, good. I'm happy. If you don't know, when Quentin Tarantino's making a movie, he gives a stack of DVDs to his actors and actresses and said, these are some of the inspiration for your role. I want you to watch these. So whenever I read those articles, I always grab as many movies as he's handing out to his cast to try to catch his influences. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. 
Okay. I'll go next. I watched 24-Hour Party People, a movie assigned to me by Matt, who had the stones to give me a biopic. A biopic. Listen, it has nothing to do with stones. Those are the only movies you haven't seen, friend. (laughs) I'm just teasing you. I do not consider this a biopic. This is a story. It centers on a man, but it's really about a movement in time and music. and It's it's a broader sense. I mean, this... Like Wolf of Wall Street. I mean, I, I don't really consider these. It's not going through this guy's life and showing the greatest hits of his life. It's more about factory records yeah. and catching that wave of musical influence that was coming out of England at the time. So, like, <laughs> why is it always during Adam's sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. sorry. I, I was All kinds of sign language. Yeah, I, I wanted the community pen. I'm sorry. Oh. All right. So. For 24-hour party people, I went in cold. I didn't watch a trailer. I've never seen it. All right. And I didn't read the Wikipedia on it. So all I knew was what you told me about it. All right. It was an interesting contrast because a couple years ago, there's a movie called Control that came out. Have I seen Control? And it's about the same thing. I didn't (laughs) even realize. It's factory records. Did you see it? Yes. Control is good. Oh, no. And I, no, no, no. 24-hour party people is different than control. They're, they're okay. very different. Okay. Because this is funnier. They break the fourth wall a lot. Yeah, I mean, you actually have points where Coogan's like looking at you in the camera. Yeah, he talks directly to the camera. Explaining what's happening. There's other fourth wall breaking. Like there's, I think a member of the Buzzcocks is shown having sex in the bathroom. And then they pan over to the real guy in his age now. And he says, that never happened. <laughs> yeah. So there's yeah. funny things like that. For all these bands, because it opens with the Sex Pistols. Yes. He's just, uh, Steve Coogan's lead in this movie. He plays Tony Wilson. Tony Wilson. And he's just a reporter. He's kind of a BBC schlub. Yeah, yeah. And then he sees the Sex Pistols, and it changes his life. It's an epiphany. And it jumps forward. He's opened a club. He's managing these acts. And Manchester becomes Madchester. And you see all these famous bands come and go through. And sort of his life from there on out. Yeah. What do you think of the music? I like this this music. I mean, is it not jam-packed, though? Yeah. I I mean... And they use real performances. They actually show concert footage from the real bands. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a ton of stuff from Joy Division, Happy Mondays, uh, the Buzzcocks, Sex Pistols, uh, The Clash. Um, And there's, there's... some Moby songs in it too, but most of it is from that time. And I mean, it really, I think it gave it a lot of, I mean, if you're doing a a movie about a music movement, you need to have a lot of that music in there. And I think this movie went above and beyond as far as to give you that music feel. Yeah. And it was funny because I mentioned that movie control Control is about joy division. Okay. And Tony Wilson's in that movie. That that's obviously an important character. Right. But it took me a while to even realize why is this all familiar? And then, Oh yeah, I saw this movie a couple of years ago. But it's kind of neat because it's just like punk rock. They're two very complete different takes on this movement. So, yeah, I liked it. I enjoyed Did it. Did you like it? Yeah. Awesome. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I got into that after the movie. I saw the movie you gave to Roger because I went out and kind of tried to devour as much Steve Coogan as I could. And was like, 24-hour party people. I was like, I don't even care if I've never heard of this. It's got Steve Coogan. I need to see it and see what it's like. And what's funny, too, is that this guy, Tony Wilson really made no money yeah no they were selling albums at a loss because of the packaging and everything else he was a terrible businessman oh yeah he, yeah he was so awful. i mean just imagine joy division he had all these labels and he wasn't making any money at clubs 
So it would be like if Jay Z today just made absolutely no money. Yeah, yeah. Imagine that. I mean, just the inept at business, but changed the course of music in the UK. All right, so we're down to the last movie, and it's Hamlet Two, Hamlet a two. Steve Coogan movie that I yes. assigned to Roger. And I had never seen a Steve Coogan film to this point, and he's a British actor, comedian. Um, and the best way I can describe this movie and how I, whether I enjoyed it or not, just simply to say this. No, I'm not going to sing the song, even though it's running through <laughs> my head right now. I was waiting right, for it. I was waiting right. for it. We might play the song as an intro here, but uh, I watched this song. I watched this movie. And for some reason, I said, I said, I thought to myself, I'm going to let my son, Zach, he's getting ready to turn 16. I thought, maybe I shouldn't. Okay, Zach, come on, let's watch this. I wanted somebody to watch this with me, you know, because I knew it was a comedy. And I thought, well, if Zach thought it was funny, then... You know, and and you know maybe we'd get, we'd both enjoy it or whatever. So Zach watched it with me, my son. So we watched the movie, and I go up to bed, and I don't even get. And this is like twelve thirty at night, right? I, I and my wife had been in bed for a couple hours, and I don't even get into the covers. And she goes, "What were you guys watching? You guys, I kept hearing you guys laugh the whole for the last two hours." And so, yes, I loved Hamlet too. I thought it was. I thought it was hilarious. I mean, how do you keep such a straight face and deliver some of those lines in that movie? And just if you haven't seen Hamlet 2, this guy, he failed as an actor, so he's become a high school acting coach, acting director. He's doing the school play, but he's just out there. And he's like a British dude in New Mexico or Arizona. I forget. Tucson. Tucson, yeah. Tucson, Arizona. And it's like... (laughs) So many things were just, it just hit all the right buttons for me. This movie makes me laugh till I cry sometimes. Oh, dude. And it's like, when he, when, I mean, you start thinking about some of these scenes. There's one scene where there's some full frontal nudity. And me and Zach about fell out of the chair laughing because he comes wearing this big robe and he goes to do this karate kick and just flashes the cameras, everything, you know. And the whole class reacts. And the whole class is like, ah, you know. And then uh, and then they, they all go out because they're, you know, they, they, they need a break and they decide to put acid in. His, he's a recovering alcoholic, hasn't drank for years, and they put a bunch of acid in his soda. And he goes home and while he's on his acid trip and rewrites the whole play <laughs> to where he comes back and Jesus, he's decided to time travel and save all the character skulls in Hamlet, the original Hamlet, which is probably the greatest Shakespearean play ever, right? Everyone dies in the end. They all die, right? And he decides he's going to create a time machine and Jesus is going to come back. And save all the characters from Hamlet. <laughs> now it's important to keep in mind about this character. This character is so damaged. He has these dad issues that show up in the play. <laughs> he has, he's his life is tragedy. So he's oh. taking all the tragedy out of Shakespeare. He's fixing all the sad parts. Yes, yeah. he wishes he's, he could do that in his real he's life. Try, he's trying to fix exactly. He's trying to make Hamlet into a happy film because of all the pain he's personally experiencing. And so. So many scenes. 
I loved it when they cut, you know, they have an African-American kid who's like real gangster in the film and he's, he ends up getting the lead and he walks off and quit because his dad won't let him anymore. And it cuts to Steve Coogan sitting in this house and he's, and he's playing it up like he's some inner city kid, you know, that's, you know, his dad won't just won't understand. And then the camera pulls back and the dude's like real rich and affluent and went to an Ivy League. And a PhD. And had a PhD and all this stuff. And it was just... And you know, and you're sitting here. Any normal person would be like, would just recognize the visual cues. But not old Steve Coogan. He's just going to press right on through with his mandate. <laughs> uh, and I will have to say, I I will have to say, when they finally was able to put on Hamlet two, and the lights went on, and the curtain dropped, and they they just come out with this killer, come out with these songs. I sat there and thought. Now, I would go to Broadway and see that play right there, man. That is pretty good stuff. It's funny about this movie. It came out of a time where there were movies like Dangerous Minds, and there were also spoofs, but it's not a spoof. It's not like not another teen movie or No, it's not even trying it's not no. even trying to be no. satire. It's just trying to be deadpan comedy. It's from South Park writers, if you didn't know. Geniuses. I'm gonna tell you right now, it's some funny and I know this movie is not for everybody. Some people probably would just be highly offended. But I, oh, it, I mean, it goes out of its way to like throw barbs at a lot of different groups of people. Oh, absolutely. And it really makes fun of theater itself. Yes. There's so many funny lines in there about these theater personalities. Because the whole plot of the movie is he's a teacher. And he just has two students normally in his drama program. But yes. because of budget cuts or for other reasons... the <laughs> He gets a whole group of tougher inner city kids that he really can't connect to, and it just makes yeah. things worse for him. Uh, and and he kind of wins these kids over. They start to feel sorry for him. They're like, "Well, it's a collaborative process." Yes. They all start getting into the play and making it crazier and crazier. Yeah, and he just rolls with it. Every every other drama teacher in the world would be like, "No, we you're not going to put your your ghetto cars in this play." He's like, "This is great. Add it in. Let's do it." <laughs> And it's the first time he's done anything original because his earlier plays are Aaron Brockovich <laughs> in movies. He's just pop, redoing. Pop movies he's just redone. And he's getting chewed up by the school critic, which is a freshman that he just can't and that win whole, over. That <laughs> whole interaction is hilarious. That is hilarious. I, I, it will be a movie that I will own. I will buy it. I will own this. And whenever I need a good laugh, I'll, I will pop it in. And I, I cannot wait to see what else is, whatever else Steve Coogan has done. I am there. I'm going to watch it. Alan Partridge. There's a, a yes. wide variety of those projects that you're going to like. Yeah, absolutely. So big thumbs up. I would highly recommend uh, Hamlet 2. And if you like Super Troopers, that's usually most more people have seen Super Troopers and Hamlet 2. And it's a similar humor. So that's why I always refer it. If you like Super okay. Troopers, check out Hamlet too. I haven't seen Super Troopers, so. Oh my gosh. You're making it easy on us now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, like I said, I love old Hollywood and I like different movies. I'll see anything. I'll go practically and see just about anything, but uh, there's a whole genre of films. Some of these films I've just never seen. So. All right. So we have to do our assignments now. New assignments. So, Roger, you went last. You get assigned first. So I have Adam for this week, and uh, I asked Adam if he had seen this film, and I believe he said no. I, I already he... forgot what you asked me. So we're going to travel back in time to 1949, and we're going to go into the heart of film noir, mystery, murder, dark secrets, 
The Black Market, a mystery thriller by an actor who is considered one of the greatest directors of all time, and that is the glorious film, The Third Man, starring Orson Welles. You did not ask me this one, and I've not seen it. I, I, I thought I asked you. You were asking I asked me. You, you, said you, saw, you said you saw Citizen Kane. I asked you, remember? I said, have you seen Citizen Kane? Oh, yeah, I've seen it. And I said, have you seen Touch of Evil? And I thought you said, yeah, you've seen it. And I said, well, those are the two big ones. But I said, have you seen The Third Man? And I thought you said, no, I haven't seen it. No, I haven't seen it. But we were talking about Peck and Paul all week. Oh, well, good. Well, uh, anyway, I had to watch this film uh, years ago. I took a film class in college, and it was one of the required viewings. And I'm really interested on your take about, because uh, Orson Welles, he does not direct this. It was written by Graham Greene, who is literary, just, I mean, he's gold. But anyway, that's a whole other story. Um, but he's just acting in this. So, you know, it's a different role for him. He'd already, he'd already come out with uh, Citizen Kane and had some hits and some, and some success and this is just a movie he's acting in in the noir film genre classic you know so i'm looking forward to see whether you like it whether you hate it i'm going to go revisit it i have not watched it since film class back in the 90s so i'm going to go back and watch it as well this week and uh yeah interested to see what your take on it is okay i will check it out so i have matt this week I had a few choices. I was kind of bouncing around between. And because I'm enjoying the show on HBO right now, Crashing. Okay. I'm giving you Don't Think Twice, a comedy about improv in New York. Uh, yes, 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 yes. And it's a, a bunch of modern comedians playing characters. They're not playing themselves. They're doing an improv group in New York, and suddenly the opportunity becomes to get on a Saturday Night Live type show. And then they all turn on each other in fierce competition and everything else. Okay. Um, and you're lucky. I almost watched this the other day. <laughs> probably from my iTunes account? <laughs> yes. This is the other half of Key and Peel. So we saw Get Out last week from Peel. This is Key. Oh, nice. Berbiglia wrote it and directed it, but Key is in it, and he's really good. Nice. So I guess that leaves me. Yep. Um, so... Um, I like weird movies, but every every person that likes weird movies has to have that first movie that kind of opened their eyes that there was more more to cinema than your standard fare, if you will. Um, growing up where I did, I didn't have a lot of opportunity to, to see anything like that. Um, so the first real movie I saw that I was kind of like, what was that that I just watched, uh, is the movie I'm going to give is the movie I'm going to give to Roger. So, Roger, uh, for next week, you will have to see Donnie Darko, which I guess has become like a cult classic at this yeah. point. Yeah. So, it, it was one of the first DVDs. Was it really? Yeah, it really took off because DVD was still a new format. Wow. Donnie oh, Darko yeah. had really unique box art. So uh, it really did. Being able to grab it at Best Buy, Walmart, or even going to Blockbuster and renting it, it really helped it out. Same thing with Boondock Saints. Boondock Saints became a cult hit just because of Blockbuster. Wow. Okay. Well, I am looking forward to it, and I will watch it, and I can't wait to report back my thoughts. Uh, just too bad you can't see it soon because it's going to be in 4K at the Gateway. They got the restoration yeah, of it. Yeah, I, I know. I know. 
but such is life. Awesome. That wraps up movie homework. All right. We'll be right back to close up the show. You're listening to The Film Coterie. All right, and welcome back. And uh, this is kind of our coming attraction segment. What is coming up in the week to come? What, what can you look forward to on the Film Coterie website? What movies are we looking forward to? What's happening? And so um, next week, we have the release of Kong Skull Island. Now, Please be good. Please be good. I don't, it's not going to be good. I, I don't know. This is going to be interesting because we haven't put it to a vote, but I'm pretty sure it will probably win for our vote for a movie. There's nothing else coming out. Yeah. So I know Adam wants it to be good. Matt thinks it's not going to be good. And I'm kind of in the middle. I'm ambivalent, but I kind of want to see it. So There's not enough vegetation on the island to feed such a large creature. Oh, my Lord. Do we really have to get caught up in these details? It's a movie. Now, let me say this. Last week for March, I said I want three movies to be great and one movie to be good. The three movies I want to be great were Logan, Train Spotting 2, and Ghost in the Shell. I've seen Logan now, and it was not great, but it was good. Next up is Kong, which is the movie I wanted to be good. So I'm hoping we can hold the line here and get a good movie. There you go. I'm looking forward to it, and I'm looking forward to talking about it with you guys on our podcast next week. Um, what else? What else are we going to do, Adam? We have the next installment of the Decade Do-Over, so we'll be traveling back to 1992. 1992. Awesome. So that'll be be some fun times. And it's the first of the month, and as you may have realized, I will plead for the release of Liza the Fox Fairy whenever I can, but I'm going to defer because I have something special in the works. So i got to make sure that happens first but I should have something entertaining next week on this very subject. Awesome. So for our listening audience, if they're just tuning in, explain to them what is the glorious uh, possibility of Liza the Fox Fairy. It is a Hungarian film that I saw two years ago at Fantastic Fest. It won the Audience Award and never saw release. It did really well at all these film festivals, and I don't know what the hang-up is. It could even be something as simple as music licensing. There's always problems going country to country. Right. We don't have it over here. So I'm just raising awareness that there's this great movie out there that would do well on Netflix, iTunes, everywhere. So I'm just trying to bring awareness to it and talk about this movie. So like I said, fingers crossed. I think I have something really cool coming out next week on this topic. Awesome. Yeah. So hang in there. Stay tuned. Maybe a big announcement that coming that direction, hopefully. Well, no, not announcement. Let's. I'm not releasing the movie. It's not oh, like I bought the man. movie and released it. But I have something cool. Okay. Something cool. I was hoping for an announcement release. I'm hoping, you, Adam, you will be the man to bring Liza the Fox Fairy to America. How about you, Matt? What are you looking forward to next week? Um, I To figure out how one island can support a giant <laughs> He's stuck on that Kong, gorilla. isn't he? Have you seen the size of Kong? Have you trailer? seen the size of the island? I don't see any. You don't know. I don't see you don't massive know bare how patches big, of vegetation. You don't know how big the island actually is. Maybe that island magically is like a thousand square miles. We don't know. It's a mysterious island in in that's behind the. You the, realize the that, fog that for a Kong that size, ninety percent of that movie is either going to be Kong sleeping or him eating to maintain his size. 
I mean, realistically, that's what the movie has to be. Maybe there's some magical force that I don't really, want to magic. that really keeps him alive. Well, Godzilla hums along on a nuclear that's engine right. that's basically inside of him. Well, nuclear engine I get, right? Half-life's on that stuff is crazy. Well, maybe Kong. there's some magma energy from the volcano on that island that's powering him. <laughs> or voodoo. Or voodoo. Voodoo magic is keeping him. Come they, on, man. They just made him too big. Buy they just in. made him too big. He's too big. The original Kong was, what, 30 feet tall? Yes, and he's now well, 10 I w- times that I size. will say this. The at Kong, least 10 times that this size. This new Kong in two climbs would be at the top of the Empire State Building, two poles, and he'd be at the top. He, he yeah. literally is so tall, it would yeah. be like, reach, climb, reach, climb, and he'd Done. be at the top. <laughs> yes. Yes. Do any of us know a zoologist we can bring on next week just so they could discuss the amount of fecal matter that this I tell you what produce. we'll do. Matt loves <laughs> to research. Maybe Matt can bring us some hard science. If we extrapolate this into the actual size, maybe he can find out what a typical size gorilla or ape of that size consumes in a day. He already knows the I, answer to I that. I already know all the answers to that. <laughs> I've already done it in preparation for hating Kong. Oh, man. On this edition of Kong, fact or fiction? <laughs> fact or fiction. Fact or fiction. I love it. I love it. I haven't done the fecal matter thing, though, but I got to tell you, that may be a new fact I look up. Because I can't imagine Quite the Quite a smell on that island with all the animals. Almost 400-foot creature defecating. I, I can't really imagine how enormous. I mean... It would be impressive. Yeah. Like, I mean, do we need to measure it in like school buses? How many school buses? I would say the villagers on the island know which way the wind blows. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Move their village to the right spot. Yes. Yeah. That's some bad latrine duty right there, let me tell you. Yeah. So. Oh, man. Well, this has been a great podcast. If, uh, how can they find us, Adam, if they want to connect with the film coterie? There's always our website. It's at www.filmcoterie.com. Our Twitter handle is at filmcoterie, and we are on Facebook as well. Awesome. Film Coterie on Facebook. Just type it in and it pops up. There you go. All right. So on behalf of Adam and Matt, I'm Roger, and you guys have a great week. We'll see you next time.